This podcast is brought to you by PC Component Retailer and Boutique Builder, Silver Knight PCs. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 6% off everything on their website. And it is also brought to you by Healthy and Delicious Vite Ramen. And it is also, also brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com that gets you great deals on Windows keys and other products. You can find links in the description and the proper offer codes for all of these sponsors. And we'll talk about them later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Sierra Glencore Tom, and today I am joined by my co-host. Expanding increasingly more complex names to Intel CPU uh, names, Dan. Yeah, I was like, if he's lazy, he'll just say Meteor Lake, and if he's trying to have fun, he'll say like Redwood Cove plus or you know arrow lake but you just decided to highlight just how many architectures there are to keep track of in any given intel league yes <laughs> which you know obviously we'll get to that um i just moore's law is dead just put out a huge intel leak and while i was putting the slide together and i do try to usually have it be one slide i can do multiple pages but i like it more if like over time you just see everything being leaked at once and also, if you can't fit it on one page, I'm like, should this really just be one video? And um, I just saw that there was no way around it. Like, if I'm going to talk about Meteor Lake's performance estimates, I have to talk about Crestmont, Crestmont Plus, Redwood Cove, Redwood Cove Plus, <laughs> Raptor Cove, Gracemont. I have to say all these things. I'm going to use abbreviations so the slide doesn't take up an entire book length. And you're just and I have to listen to what I'm saying as I go line by line here. But it seems like it was well received. So it seems like I managed to thread that needle. But again, you know, I don't, you know, I was talking to one of my sources when I put that leak together and I was like, was it a Darkmon or what the heck's in uh, Arrow Lake? And the person goes, oh, Skymont. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. That's another one of the Mont brothers. So, I mean, don't worry. I forget what the architecture names are almost i mean like half the time if it's not immediately what's coming out this year too to all of those listening yeah there's too many of them and now they're basically doing two architectures per year per cpu so it's just a lot to keep track of <laughs> yeah but anyways how are you doing today dan uh i'm i'm pretty good i suppose how are you i'm good had a pretty relaxing or should i say less work-filled weekend than usual i mean you know it was interesting i had my girlfriend's birthday this weekend one of my best friend's birthdays this weekend and then a bunch of things we wanted to do and i was like well maybe we'll record early well one person's busy and then try to do this and do that and then over time it turned out like my one of my best friends was also coming down to nashville to hang out um because his wife was doing something else in town as well and i said you know Let's get this straight here. We've put out 
a Daniel Nenny two-hour interview on Tuesday. That same day, I put out a leak or a really an analysis or opinion video about AMD margins and their recent earnings. And then there's an over one-hour die shrink that was dropped <laughs> on Friday for patrons. Um, your $2 a month gets you access to it, everybody. And a 37-minute Intel leak video that's doing well. I mean, 30, that's longer than a lot of podcasts, that video alone. So two videos, two podcasts. And I said, if this comes out half a day late, is anyone going to complain? <laughs> we will survive. I, I think so. And uh, yeah, I, I notified the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, I think Friday night, and they said, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> what will we do? Ah, we're so bored with all of the lack of content. And so yeah, I just, I, I acknowledge, you know, that patrons are probably listening to this almost a day late and non-patrons like half a day later. But, you know, I don't know. Every please now forgive us. Please forgive us, uh, viewer daddies. And at the end of the day, I th- I'm starting to, the longer we do this, Dan, accept that if it would help the quality and our mental health significantly, we can be half a day late on releasing something. Yeah. Um, but speaking of things that people are not okay with, let us get to the corrections for this episode. Maverick writes in, uh, assumedly after landing a fighter jet, and he says, Hey, Tom, I thought I'd chime in after your last eye shrink where you discussed Nintendo. Well, I do agree with most of what you guys said. I think we have to acknowledge that Nintendo has a core philosophy that they've tried to adhere to called lateral thinking through weather technology. Now, what he's referencing here is me and you talking about how we just wish and that Nintendo would put a little more effort into optimizing their designs every generation and maybe spend an extra 10 to $30 to make sure they hit a certain level of performance for future proofing. And he goes on, the Nintendo way of adapting technology is not to look for the state of the art, but to utilize mature technology that can be mass produced cheaply. Gunpai Yokoi articulated this philosophy in his projects, such as the Game Boy and Nintendo as a whole, and did this with the SNES and N64, although the N64 was also about keeping control of the entire supply chain for game cartridges versus CD, and some of that odd design compared to PlayStation, that, so they could avoid people copying them. He says, I think part of the problem with Nintendo is that the company lost Gunpai and Hiroshi Yamuchi, which many credit for Nintendo's early successes and making bold and often risky decisions that did, though, pan out more often than not. You know, I'm sorry, Maverick. I'm just, well, I mean, actually, two things. A lot of those older Nintendo devices were less cheap for the time than others. Like, Game Boy was just absurd. We did a die shrink on that, like, what, a year or two ago? Looking yeah. at the history of handheld gaming, and we we concluded that Game Boys were, like, all margin at some point. <laughs> like, those <things> cost <laughs> nothing to make, and the other were being sold for, like, 80 or or $100 back in the 90s. And, you know, you can say it's some sort of philosophy that's thinking outside the box. I call it being cheap as hell. (laughs) And I I don't care what you say. They're being cheap. When they launch a Switch with Maxwell graphics after not only Pascal, the Pascal SoC is out for mobile, but also a Volta SoC is out. You can't tell me this is some outside-the-box way of thinking. It's, It's just lazy and cheap design, in my opinion. It's not to say that they have to do it a certain way. I'm just, I'm they're, sorry. Go on. They're they're innovating 
By selling old products for more money, Tom. Or old technology for more money. <laughs> it, it's... It, it, I guess you can call that a design philosophy, but it sounds like they just know they can get people to, if they can make a relatively cheap console that uses old technology, they get really high margins. Right. And, and again, I want to be clear what I'm saying here. I'm not saying I think Nintendo should try to beat or match uh, uh, Sony or Microsoft in performance, nor performance per dollar. But I am saying that I think it's silly the Switch didn't get some early version of Volta with 8 gigabytes of RAM because that would have cost them maybe 20 to $30. And the Switch already had insane margins. They could have charged a little more and all of their games from start to finish would have been running max resolution at 60 frames. Uh, even by now, some of the... I mean, if they yeah, if they had 8 gigabytes of RAM and Volta graphics, I, I am sure they would have had no issues. and. But I mean, I'm not saying they had to. I'm just saying it is my opinion they should. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I'm just hoping that the Switch too, whenever it comes out, not that it's as powerful as a PS5 or Series X, because I doubt it will be. But you know, more comparable and with newer technology would be better. And and I think, um, well, you can point to, you know, Nintendo releases like the Wii and the switch and go, well, you know, they sold crazy well and made, you know, tons of money. So they didn't need it. I would concede. Oh, th- those ones probably didn't need it, but, and we've talked about this before, mostly in die shrink stand. I, my point of view isn't so much of, they should have done this to be the good guys for switch. It's if they put that extra bit of effort into design, that extra bit of money into making it a little more future-proofed every generation, maybe they would have less disasters. If, right, you know, if, if some of these consoles weren't depending on perfect marketing or some moonshot goal of maybe people will care about motion controls or a, you know, a hybrid mobile you know, home console like the Switch, you know, if they weren't cheaping out all the time, maybe some of their other stuff wouldn't have completely fallen flat, like the Wii U, where it's like, no one wanted a tablet controller, and it's weak, no one bought it. If it would have been able to run all Xbox One games, it probably would have sold twice as many consoles. And if it had better online infrastructure, didn't require friend codes, then you wouldn't be relying so reliant on that one gimmick to sell the console, and maybe you'd have less see sign and success every generation. Yes, yeah. there'd be less profits some of the generations that didn't need it, but then the other ones would be keeping up with the competition better, so they weren't as reliant on these lateral ways of thinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's been Nintendo's problem for forever, is their console is either wildly successful or it sells like 20 million units or something. And there, there's really not that much in between. Whereas I think Sony has, especially has consistently just made stuff that sells around a hundred million for five generations. Now, Microsoft, I think is a bit more CSI, but they consistently sell around the like 50 to a hundred million range. And Nintendo, it's either 20 million or one of the best selling consoles of all time. <laughs> right. And like, you know, the Xbox One, 
I mean, that was a little bit of a Nintendo situation where they bet on Kinect selling it and yeah, then it didn't. True. And, but you know, I would actually argue their specs didn't suffer because they spent too much money on the camera. They suffered because it was just a poorly designed architecture. Like they traded die space for, you know, cash that they could have just used for $20 more of Ram or something. And, yeah. And then Ram got cheaper too. So it ended up to be a very non prudent decision. But, you know, at least the Xbox One didn't completely skimp on specs and then probably would have sold even worse if it couldn't run the same games as the PS4, which is the bets Nintendo keeps making. It's not just weaker. It's like way, way, way weaker to the point that if that gimmick doesn't sell the console, then the thing is just complete failure. And and so, yeah, that again, I'm not because you know, we anytime me and you talk about this in a public episode, Dan, there are comments that are like, I just don't think you get Nintendo's mentality. Yes, I do. And I disagree. <laughs> right. And I'm not yeah. saying they have to play the same game as the competition. I am saying a little extra effort. I think in my opinion, and it is just my opinion could go a long way. Um, right. We got another correction here from Bullethead. He says re magnetic tapes, making hard drives obsolete magnetic tapes right now themselves are actually quite affordable, but the LTO drives themselves cost at minimum $4,000 new and $1,500 used. At those prices, HDDs are still a better value since you can get multiple $100 to $140 8 terabyte drives for the cost of a used LTO drive. Also, hard drive manufacturers are beginning to produce U.2 NVMe HDDs oh, to replace SATA and SAS connectors. That's interesting. Yeah, so yeah, they're making these smaller NVMe uh, HDDs. That's interesting. It's not clear when this technology will reach average consumers, but I suspect it will actually be much sooner than affordable LTO drives. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I think me and you were talking about in a recent episode, Dan, how SSDs were getting so goddamn dirt cheap, and they are. I mean, I upgraded my girlfriend's PC with a terabyte SSD. I added a SATA drive to it just for like older games. It's thirty dollars, yeah, for a, a one terabyte drive. And in fact, I've noticed recently two terabyte. I think it was an Acer one, a two terabyte NVMe PCIe 4.0 drive that maxes it out. So like, you know, over 7,000 megabytes per second. Um, it was like 130 bucks. And in 2019, I paid 150 for a one terabyte uh, NVMe drive that was 5,500 5, megabytes a second. So you're looking at like 30% to 40% higher speeds for $20 less with double the capacity what I paid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, SSDs are getting so cheap, I'd argue that hard drives are almost entirely obsolete to the average gaming PC. Oh, it's yeah. just not worth it. It doesn't matter if you save 20%. Just get a faster SSD. And then I think we talked about how magnetic drives are now are pushing getting, hard. Are, ta the tapes are getting cheaper and faster than hard drives, which I just honestly hadn't realized that magnetic tape technology had gotten to that point. And I was like, oh, this is it's kind of like the old and the newer technology are both making hard drives obsolete. But yeah, I don't I don't remember if I said that eventually maybe we'll just have SSDs and tape drives and PCs. Maybe I said that in kind of a throwaway line way, but certainly at those prices, no, those are nowhere near the price <laughs> you would need to afford putting, you know, some like 100 terabyte tape drive or something in your PC. Not anytime soon. Yeah, unless you, I suppose, want to spend $4,000 for the actual drive itself and not just the tape. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a valid 
correction if I said that. I don't remember. But whether or not I did, I think it's also an interesting thing to bring up that we are still well, well, well away from that coming to consumers. And I just wanted to kind of make this PSA. Guys, if you've been waiting to upgrade your SSDs, like you're deleting games every week, pay 30 bucks and just throw an SSD, an extra SSD in your system. (laughs) Even if it's just the SATA one, which isn't as good as NVMe, but... (laughs) indubitably and i well you were talking dan i tried to think of some good segue for story number one but unfortunately uh my brain is not as hot as amd cpus allegedly were in recent reporting and yeah that's story number one amd am5 cpu burning issues tested by gamers nexus first there was the nvidia 16 pin failure saga and then people freaked out about rdna3 vapor chamber issues And now there have been reports on Reddit and other discussion boards of yet some other failure that people are freaking out about online. Recent motherboard vendor BIOS updates have fried some Zen 5 CPUs, especially some R7-7800X3D CPUs. Now, this is my summary after watching the Gamers Nexus story and talking to some contacts. However, unlike the 16-pin and RDNA3 vapor chamber stories, this channel hesitated to jump to any conclusions until a couple weeks after initial reports in order to avoid misreporting the situation. And as luck would have it, Gamers Nexus has now tested the issue with these overall conclusions. Number one, Expo and AMD's own software does not seem to be the culprit. Number two, although Gamers Nexus could fry several CPUs, they found it was honestly hard to do, even when they were trying to, although they could eventually, if they tried long and hard enough, repeat a failure. It also does seem like recent BIOS updates, especially those from Asus and Gigabyte, are to blame mostly, and fixes are already out. All known failures are handled and exchanges or have been refunded. And so I guess what you would say is AMD should try to do more to keep motherboard makers stay in check with their updates so they don't push voltages too high in the future. But at the same time, there is only so much AMD can realistically do to control their vendors. And on that last point, yours truly did personally reach out to a few people in the industry and I can independently report that nobody is seeing any significant uptick in failures or returns of AM5 CPUs right now compared to usual. And one person did press me with the opinion that this person thinks AMD in no way can afford to be responsible for validating every single update themselves on every single motherboard model for every vendor. Intel probably couldn't afford to do that either. So maybe AMD can do some minor things to rein in vendors in the future, but they're going to be minor. People may just need to also accept that if you use a beta version of a BIOS update in overclock, there are risks. So yeah, in conclusion, I would say this ranks way below the 7900 XTX vapor chamber issue and then also below NVIDIA 16-pin issues in level of seriousness. The vapor chamber issue was a notable real issue, that maybe only affected 10% of the first wave of buyers, but it was real and then quickly fixed. The NVIDIA 16-pin failure issue, according to people I talked to to this day, is actually a real ongoing issue, but it affects a teeny, tiny, almost negligible amount of consumers. And then below that level of seriousness, this is as close to a nothing burger as you can get to. Um, At least that's what I concluded looking at everything online, Dan. I don't know if you had any thoughts on this. Um, I, I mean, from a uh, public perception perspective, I think this is doing uh, seemingly a lot of damage to AMD. 
I don't know how many. Well, at least this- in online discussions, we don't know if it's true. affecting sales literally at all. I, I, I guess I, I don't know how many people this affected. We probably will never know. It seems like it's on the. It seems like it's probably around uh, the same order of magnitude, maybe maybe a little less than the 16-pin debacle from NVIDIA. But it, as usual, it seems like it's a weird mix of po- possibly user error, maybe getting a slightly crappy CPU and irresponsible power profiles from a few uh, motherboard vendors that led that when you get all of those together you get like uh, a dozen CPUs having burn marks on them or something cuz yeah. as far as i can tell that seems to be the order that it's at like on reddit there's three or four reports and then it seems like there's three or four more reports about it elsewhere so i don't think this is a widespread issue where 10% of people with 7800x3ds are burning but <laughs> I mean, look, we concluded with the NVIDIA 16-pin issue that it does seem like the clip could be a little better designed, and so there is some user error there, but there's probably a notable amount of people that have been affected. In fact, one person I per- one person that I personally know just had a 16-pin break and had to get it fixed, mm. but it's not like, you know, it was anything broke, nothing lit on fire, and it seems very rare that... The amount of complaints online about this seem to be like a tenth of the NVIDIA 16-pin thing. Yeah, so if I'm remembering correctly on Reddit, they had for the uh, 16-pin when it, back when it was in its biggest uh, point of discussion. So, like, I believe that was like late October, early November of 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of them compiling that that list, which they compiled over the course of about three weeks, there was like. 30 or so reports uh, that r slash NVIDIA had compiled, but I'll also give it to the mods at r slash NVIDIA. I think they do a good job running the subreddit and like keeping track of things like that. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm not sure if like r slash AMD is as good at compiling that type of stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it looks like it's three or four fourth reports on reddit obviously that's not like a poll so you don't know if there how many outside of reddit there are and then you have a couple reports online outside of reddit so it doesn't seem like it's this massive thing but i think it still is doing damage to their public perception where eh, some people are saying uh, online like well maybe i won't get this because i don't want to have to worry about this issue even though if you're not doing anything weird with your CPU, you're not going to have this issue. <laughs> and even know. if you are, you're probably not going to have this issue. Uh, yeah. I don't, when I say people are saying online, that reminds me of when you see people on like CNN going one random asshole on Twitter said, it's like, this is news. Some guy, how do we know this is even like, I don't know. I, I, I put zero credence into something like that. And the people I talk to at like micro centers and best buy. So it's like, zero uptick in returns none (laughs) so i'm sorry guys this is a nothing burger this is nothing this is if gamers nexus had to try to break them and he could but he said he had to try even with the problem ones and so it's not to say no one had an issue but it is to say there was bad bios updates they've been fixed 
and maybe five people had issues. I, I don't yeah, know. I, I, I mean, I think it's good that AMD jumped on it pretty quickly uh, once it became public. I, I mean, obviously, you never know if they knew this was an issue and they, well, no, if, because if they knew this was an issue prior, you'd think that just, just push a BIOS update. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> once they did, required. they did. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it's good that AMD jumped on it seemingly within a few days of all of these reports happening, which I don't know, maybe it was just a simpler issue than what caused the like 16 pin issues at NVIDIA, which is might be it why it seems like they still need another update. About. Like they've just locked down part of the BIOS for a voltage setting until they put out a true repeatable yeah. fix that allows the same overclocking you could do before. So technically you could argue this is still an ongoing issue, but I don't know. I, I guess just to make everyone understand where I'm coming from on how much it sounds like I'm disregarding this. When I saw all of the tweeting and the articles and a big thumbnail from gamers Nexus. And then I did my own research finally on this because this just wasn't at the top of my priority list compared to like, you know, leaking arrow Lake information. <laughs> um, I expected way more than this, to be honest, guys. Like the amount of conversation about this, I was like, that's it. Like, and Gamers Nexus basically ends the video by saying it wasn't AMD's fault and it's already fixed. <laughs> well, I don't it, know. It, it's, I, I think consumers are just becoming more and more hyper aware of really minor things that ha- that affect products because everybody's talking about them online all the time. Where it's like something like this will get as much airtime as like something that like 30% of Xbox 360s failing within two years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. You would have yeah. gotten in the mid 2010s where, yeah, I, I, <laughs> it, it, over like a w- couple week long news cycle, something like this can seem like it's as big of a deal as like 30 like 30 to 50% of 360s failing within two years of it, of it, you buying it. And it's just not that big of an issue. People just talk about everything way more because it's easier to. More people have Reddit accounts than they used to in 2008. If Reddit was, I think Reddit would have been around in 2008, but. <laughs> well, yeah, so, and, and and certainly this issue is not limited to our space. Uh, I don't know if you guys have watched 24-hour news channels, but it seems like they always just need something to talk about that day, and it doesn't really matter the veracity or the legitimacy of a story half the time. It's just like, well, this is what we're talking about now, a Twitter poll about wash, about what was it, gas stoves or something. It's like, oh my God, you guys. But um, I don't know. So yeah, I guess I don't, I don't know if you have anything else to say about this, Dan. I mean, it it was an issue, but very, 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 but but not something that is like a major long term issue for AM five. Nor so un, it's what already would, solved and didn't affect many almost anyone. What I would say is, don't be. I, I wouldn't be overly concerned. And if new if new things come out about AMD CPUs burning up after the BIOS is released or something, then I would get concerned. Maybe. I want a video, but of I one don't on think that'll happen. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, just, you know, this is a reason I don't use beta BIOSes unless I absolutely have to, I use the studio version of NVIDIA's drivers too. I just don't get the point anymore. I mean, we're, we're to a point where performance is so zeroed in and 
the gains you get from messing with stuff is so little that it's like, just go for stability, guys. And again, surprise, that thing they put on everything that says overclocking, Boyd's warranty may have problems. They they do put that there for an issue, for a reason, even though it's rarely an issue. You know? mm-hmm. um, this piece of content is brought to you by Silver Knight PCs. Silver Knight PCs is a disabled veteran-owned GPU and CPU retailer, PC repair shop, and boutique PC builder that is located in North Carolina, but ships globally. They do it all. If you are in the area, drop by their location at 1324 Bragg Boulevard in Fayetteville, North Carolina, to pick up reasonably priced components that come with up to a three-year warranty, and you can even trade in parts for refurbishment as well, or go to their website and use their new PC customization tool to put together the blueprints for your dream PC that they will be happy to consult with you on before building and shipping it to you. They're easy to talk to. The owner of the company even sat down and had a candid conversation with me during the pandemic shortages years ago, and so I know from firsthand experience that they do a good job. In fact, the RTX 4090 Supreme Liquid in my PC used to render this ad was sent to me by them after having its thermal paste and pads custom upgraded. So I know they ship high quality stuff and whether you're in the Fayetteville area looking to buy a graphics card in person or you want to custom order something from them online or even shop on their eBay store, click the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 6% off all orders This helps me a lot, this helps them, and I am genuinely happy to get their sponsorship as they really are a business that I can stand by as genuinely reliable. Go to silvernightpcs.com and use offer code BROKENSILICON today. All right, but uh, let us now move on to story number two. Adored TV leaks ladder L3 for Zen 5. Well, Digitimes seemingly confirms Moore's Law has done Zen 5 leaks. Um, recently, Jim at Adored TV gave us all a peek into why Zen 5 may possibly be achieving such massive IPC gains, despite allegedly only getting a small L1 cash increase, according to this channel. It seems that Zen 5 may use what is called a ladder L3 cash system for the first time for AMD. Now, what does this really mean? Honestly, skipping the technical details, the way this writer would summarize it is AMD is evolving the architecture, Zen 5, in fundamental ways that they haven't done since Excavator to Zen 1. This is like when AMD went from crossbars in Zen 2 to ring buses in Zen 3 or even bigger than that. You don't always need to add a bunch of cash for an IPC increase. They're just fundamentally redesigning the architecture and Jim gave us a little peek into what some of those changes are. Uh, Jim also talked about various prototypes with different cash amounts being tested that many websites misquoted him as saying the exact cash amounts of Zen 5, even though if literally any of these rumor mill websites would have watched the video, they would have heard him distinctly say he doesn't know what these prototypes are for. They could be throwaway prototypes from before Zen 4 or zen 6 and me talking to people it does seem like this is probably zen 6 variants being tested with the l2 and l3 caches he talked about for some other thing uh oh and adore tv confirmed a lot of the code names that i leaked and then digi times did as well like hot point kraken escher and so on and so forth so again those zen 5 leaks that just came out of this channel 
and take him to the bank. Um, all right. Any thoughts on this story, Dan? I'm just looking. So from a technical standpoint, just I, I guess what this is supposed to theoretically give core lower latency between cores on the same bus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I guess there you go for why it might be faster. <laughs> exactly. Which if we were to try to go into it too, in too much detail, we'd, I mean, we'd just be way beyond our depth. We're not CPU engineers here, but I think this is important though, because I do remember that. Like when I did that, uh, Cinebench leak, I said to myself, well, okay. So here in windows task manager, it says more L one, but no increase in L two and L three. And then I asked if there was any mistakes here. The person who, someone who works on these chips said, no, he doesn't believe there is. And then I talked to another source after that video came out. And that person told me, as far as they're aware, there is no nothing off in those cash reportings. And so I was like, well, I don't know. It looks like AMD's got maybe around a 20% or more IPC increase for Zen 5. And they didn't need to add a bunch of cash. And they did that with Zen 2 to Zen 3. So <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. If- Really, at a certain point, the only way you could improve that is by making the cores communicate better with each other. Then, but yeah, you know, and in the past, there's been a lot of people that have doubted when there can be large IPC increases. I think some people would look at Raptor Lake, which added a ton more cash over Alder Lake, and they're like, zero IPC increase? What the heck? And then <laughs> AMD adds a little L1 cash, and then you know, twenty percent IPC increase. But you know, a, a lot of that is a timing like it takes like three to five years to just have some of the smartest people on earth sit down and go what tiny thing can we do here and then here and then do a hundred little micro changes and maybe one big fundamental change that you then have to simulate make sure it actually work and then implement to get a similar die size architecture that gets that level of a performance increase at same power but if you're Intel and you're like, oh, crap, Meteor Lake's delayed, uh, what can we do to make Alder Lake better? Clock it faster. Oh, it loses performance per clock at high clock speeds. Add a ton of cash so it scales to <laughs> 6 gigahertz. And that's what they did with Raptor Lake. It's not a mystery. It's just usually... And, and you know, same with like Zen 3 X3D. You know, it's like, well, then how did they... With, it's like, well, yeah, it's the same architecture, but they added a bunch of cash. That's what they decided to do that time. That took not four or five years to design from the ground up, right? So that that's why. As a callback to uh, uh, Yokoi from uh, Nintendo, it's lateral thinking instead of vertical. Indeed. Crass <laughs> um, writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan. I thought your Strix Halo leak was excellent, and really, it's a very cool product. But I do want to push back a little bit on your statements that maybe this could allow laptop gaming performance on battery a claim from a recent broken silicon podcast but before i do so i do think that i want to put forth two ground rules to frame where i'm coming from number one i believe it's well accepted that three hours gaming on battery is the sweet spot or a minimum to be considered a usable level of battery gaming time number two i believe the maximum battery allowed on airplanes is 100 watt hours that no laptop maker has nor ever will exceed this, which is why to this day now you're seeing 16-inch laptops with empty space inside them because they've innovated on batteries enough to make 99.9 watt-hour batteries that fit in less space than before, and they don't know what to do with the extra space. 
That kind of sucks. With this rules in mind, the natural TDP for the Strix Halo APU seems to be somewhere around 30 watts on battery. So this might use like 100 watts at the outlet. And sure, run circles around a 3070 laptop on battery. But on 30 watts, I think you're more looking at the 1660 Ti range. Alternatively, you take the devil's bargain and maybe run 45 to 50 watt TDP on battery. But then you're going to get under two hours of battery life. And that's with a laptop weighing quite a bit too, probably around five pounds to carry the kit. What do you think laptop makers will do? And do you see my point that this might not really be a laptop battery gaming APU? Well, I I don't know. I don't really agree to the ground rules as being necessary for this to be a achievement. You know, like I think right now, a lot of the Mac, you know, MacBook benchmarks where they have like 1660 battery or 1660 or 1650 performance in like Shadow of the Tomb Raider. They're like, you get two to three hours of battery life uh, gaming and Mm -hmm. it's full performance. I don't think it needs to be three hours minimum. I think the fact that if I'm on a flight and I pull it open and I can play Tomb Raider at full settings, I would plugged in on the wall and it's just two hours. That still might be enough to get me through a flight. And I think that means in mixed usage where you're using the GPU, sometimes you're going to get significantly longer without having to sometimes throttle the GPU performance. And so I I don't really agree with those ground rules. I still think it is a gaming on battery achievement, even if it's just, you know, a one and a half to two and a half hours. And even if there were like a small hit to performance. But the other thing I'd say, Crast, is I have documents that literally say the low end models compete with a 4050, which is around 2060 performance. So no, I, I think that that's a 20 watt model that can game like a 2060 and that would when you add everything else in get you at least three hours of battery life no the 120 watt model won't be gaming at full performance on battery right well that that is impossible so yes (laughs) right so obviously that's understood but still that means you could take Something that's gaming like a 3070 and maybe then it drops to 3060 performance on battery and can game for an hour and a half. I still see that as a gaming on battery major achievement. And I think it's worth pointing out that the NVIDIA Intel laptops I've gamed on are like crazy locked down and like what you're able to do with them when you're on battery. Like it just ignores half of my overclocks and like throttles the dang thing to half clock speeds like really really nerfs my performance if there's no mate like especially with like the 20 to 65 watt models if there's no like crazy throttling on battery that means i might be able to keep my afterburner or whatever overclocks going and that means i could maybe undervolt it even further and maybe push the battery life in a way that i just can't where when it switches to battery because it is because they're kind of doing this for safety reasons so you don't damage the battery trying to Mm -hmm. game at full capacity it just nerfs any ability to do anything as long as it can fit even just barely within that battery supply without having to switch a bunch of settings around that that means that you'll be able to tweak it and probably get significantly better performance than you would otherwise as well yeah and you know it's if this gets down to 20 or even 30 watts i don't see why that wouldn't give you two hours with a 100 watt hour battery right like yeah now i guess i'm trying to think of what comparable product amd has out right now uh 
like to give us a like how much wattage does the 7600 mobile versions use um well i don't remember off the top of my head for those since they just came out but i do know that the 6500m which i believe is like literally just a 6500 xt or 6400 limited to 25 watts it's limited to 25 watts <laughs> so yeah, like one yeah. of those and this is something that's bigger than that so yeah i think most of these are going to use 65 to 95 watts though for the 7600 i guess i kind of can't answer it oh okay <laughs> so i i mean i think if you're expecting a better performance per watt then you know you would expect something better a little bit better than what we ha- amd has right now for 30 watts right yes the 30 watt variant should perform well I don't know. I, I'd say, yeah, I'd say probably the 45 watt variant will game like a 6,700 if I had to guess. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, you know, we're going from gaming at like two thirds the performance, if you're lucky, by the way, with some of these laptops to a 7,600 plus Phoenix system or, or probably 7,600 plus Rembrandt system is what the bundle would be, I'd guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will last for 45 minutes or something <laughs> to. Now you've got two hours of battery life and it performs 50% better. No, I don't think it's like you're gaming for an hour on it's like a 1660 Ti. I think you'll be gaming for two hours, like a 3060 for, with some of these things or 2060. And I think that's huge as a like doubling. That's a huge increase. And again, what that means is it fundamentally changes what you can do when you're on a plane. You could limit frame rates. And now instead of, struggling in 720p with your your, with your 4050 like no maybe not 4050 but with your 3060 laptop you're now not struggling playing at the same settings as always and it lasts two hours that's huge yeah and it's probably a far less bulky laptop which is a big plus on while traveling (laughs) right you know so instead of having this 16 inch laptop that kind of has to be 16 inch to fit all the cooling but there's still some empty space because the battery can't get bigger you have half the cooling. You're just cooling an APU. You can make this now a 13-inch laptop that games like a high-end one. I mean, it, you have a netbook now that can, that can game like a high-end laptop for hours. That's, again, that's pretty exciting to me. Yeah. Um. All right. Let us move on then to story number three. We've already been bringing this thing up. RX 7600 gigabyte leaks recap and a minor update once again. Over the past few weeks, Moore's Law is Dead has been dropping a steady trickle for AMD's hot pink bonefish RDNA 3 die to swim through. Yes, that was very stressed, like, thing I did there, but code name for this Navi 33 is hot pink bonefish, and I am trickling leaks for it to swim through, damn. Now, here's the summary so far of what's been leaked by this channel. Number one, there are currently eight gigabyte Navi 33 desktop samples benchmarking Above 10% better than the 6650 XTL consuming a little more than 170 watts. Press sampling for this product should begin on May 15th. MSRP reviews happen on May 24th. And the day after initial reviews, above MSRP reviews happen with the release date. So AMD is doing MSRP controls like NVIDIA did for the 470. Also, there will be a reference model to anchor pricing. And the name on documentation so far has been the RX 7600 8 gigabyte, so not an XT. And on top of all of that, 
It does seem, and this is the new information, although AMD was planning to charge a bit over $300 a month ago, recently today, I was told that AMD may be targeting a price of $300 or lower. To be clear, what I can literally confirm as new information today is that number one, the bomb kit for the 7600, I am told, allows standard profit margins between $270 and $290 for pre-tax sales price. And number two, AMD is considering a $300 price point as the final price. So in summary, AMD will be launching a new low-end 8GB GPU in two weeks with pricing controls in place that should at a minimum ensure this graphics card costs the same or less than its predecessor. And AIBs should be able to keep prices as low as they want, maybe even launching products below MSRP if AMD chooses a boneheaded MSRP for this hot pink bonefish. All right, Dan. Yes, I decided to make a bonefish reference again there. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I mean, I feel like I feel like they're not all that different than when we've talked about this before. Just if they can't manage to sell this for three hundred dollars or less, almost don't put it out, right? <laughs> I mean, right. they're going to put it out regardless, but what you're describing to me is essentially a eight gigabyte sixty seven hundred, right? And it's pretty much best case scenario, slightly better than that. Yeah. So it needs to be cheaper than what I can buy, or it needs to be cheaper than a sixty seven hundred for me, or not me because I'm not going to buy this. But <laughs> for this, the thought uh, for me to consider like this being worth buying for anyone. So, you know, it's just if this is if this comes out for at like three hundred thirty dollars, then it's just a non-starter, right? Like, which is what its predecessor co- predecessor cost at launch. Um, yeah, and I just checked Newegg right now when we were talking. The sixty seven hundred ten gigabyte is two hundred and eighty dollars new on on Newegg, and it also, I believe, comes with a game. It comes with The Last of Us, so. Yeah, I don't know, which was just patched to run fine on this 10 gigabyte card, apparently, you know, so. Which it's just like, th- that's the problem with these uh, uh, Lovelace and RDNA 3 is everything at, not at the enthusiast tier is basically just an advertisement for RDNA 2. And this could be good if they pr- managed to price it for below $300. Good job, AMD. You've released a pr- card for not a terrible price. But if not, it's just get a 6700 if you're waiting on getting a card which i did tweet that out i believe like it doesn't really matter what amd decides to do it's not going to be something that makes you regret getting the 6700 if you're a budget chopper it's 280 dollars playstate close to playstation 5 performance probably better in some games worse than others yeah as 10 gigs of ram it actually uses like i think 175 watts so i'm not even sure navi 33 will be more efficient which why would it same family of node you get 10 gigs of RAM. I don't know. I think that's the move. If you're a budget shopper, don't wait for anything. Worst case scenario, AMD will launch something for the same price that's a little stronger but has less RAM in two weeks. Just get this. Yeah, and it's just like, I think a narrative that's just coming from this channel, the more that we talk about it, is eight gigabytes. An eight gigabyte card is basically by definition definition low tier. I mean, low end at this point. It Um, is. 10 gigabytes is arguably getting there too, but 
two more gigabytes is still two more gigabytes. Yeah, I guess the final thing I would add, and we have, you know, talked about this product a ton on every, <laughs> you know, broken silicon yeah. for the past and loose ends for like the past two months that, you know, I'll just also add this. Remember, there were rumors, including for me, that the Navi 33 products were supposed to launch at the same time or possibly even before Navi 31. AMD buys capacity ahead of time. There's a very good chance like you said, they're going to launch this, that they, they have to, they just have them sitting there yeah. and they may have for a very long time. So I don't know. Uh, they're going to have to launch this. I think what AMD is going to do is go to the lowest price they can stomach. That is just barely not making them out to launch my suggestion. And I don't think it's completely finalized, but my suggestion will be that would be two ninety nine. That wouldn't be greatly received, I don't think, but I think anything above two ninety nine is where people go, you're asleep at the wheel. And the good news yeah. is though, is that they have left enough margin at whatever the MSRP ends up being that AIV is gonna I've heard maybe sell this for even less than MSRP, even on launch day. And certainly if it doesn't sell well, you'll see price drops quickly. Uh so it's one to watch because if you're in the budget market, this may drop with a free game. For like 270 for a couple of entry models or at least under 300 and eventually maybe the 6700 will sell out at least it should be it's one of the best deals i've seen in a while you know ever we keep talking about what's the next polaris going to be guys the a 10 gigabyte card that performs like the consoles is 280 this yeah. is the new polaris <laughs> but um yeah so just wanted to get that summary out there because i have been trickling out leaks and tweets and videos and live streams and thought it'd be good to summarize them again for this one um, QH Freddy writes in Navi 33 must be incredibly cheap for AMD to make. It is. It's on N6. It has a small die size and it should require only very basic boards. To me, at least, it seems nonsensical to not go for the 200 to $250 segment. I don't see how NVIDIA can willingly compete at that price range, even with their smallest Lovelace chip. Why wouldn't AMD do this? NVIDIA would have no way to respond. I don't know. I mean, anytime I ask people that, the answer is basically, well, you have to understand, and then there's this, 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 and also eventually we want to make APUs occupy the low end, and I just go, yeah, well, uh, sure, when your cheapest card is on three nanometer, you'll have a point. This isn't. So all yeah. I know is you are selling 6,500 XTs with four gigabytes for 200. You've added $15 of silicon, $20 worth of RAM. Shouldn't be, I think 250 is a good price, and if it's over 300, you're dumb, and there's nothing anyone will be able to do to convince me otherwise, because yeah, their I, margins don't lie. <laughs> I, I mean, I think at $300, it's okay, but honestly... It's not I, a slap in the face, I, I, but I'm I not... Hope, I hope reviewers pan it for the price if it's $300, because I, I completely agree, like, just like looking at this card versus what's available on the market, if we're not trying to shake up the boat at all, I mean, rock the boat at all as it comes to price performance as it currently exists, then this thing should be like 250, 260 right. at most. <laughs> and at 250, I mean, I'm not going to get excited for a new 8 gigabyte GPU in 2023, but that is where yeah. it almost is like in a similar argument to the 6500 XT, where it's like, hey, it's better than everything else out. If you have to go bare minimum, this is an improvement. And yeah. on that note, though, I've been thinking actually, damn. If AMD goes above $300 for the MSRP, I already think I know how I will start my analysis video. I'll say, 
When the 6500 XT came out, AMD launched a graphics card with the minimum amount of RAM that you could argue a GPU should have for 30% less than every other available thing on the market, including 1650s and, you know, I mean, 1050 Ti's were selling for 200 at the time. And immediately after the 6500 XT launch, all those cards got price drops. Even though everyone hated that card, apparently it did help the market. This time, if AMD goes above 300, it's worse than the 6500 XT, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And that is why I might have been able to defend, although I certainly didn't like the 6500 XT, and I just could not defend this. Like, this Um, would be the dumbest thing ever. If if AMD makes this uh, $330, your analysis video should be five seconds long, and it should just be, (laughs) no, (laughs) that's the end of the video. Well, Dan, I think I have minimum requirements for being able to have a sponsorship in there, so it'd have to at least. So be... <laughs> it would have to be longer than five seconds. We could just ten minutes of me saying no, maybe, but yeah, uh, <laughs> that, so... that will be my competing analysis video. Oh shoot, Dan! With, with the channel I'm about to launch, Civil War in the Moore's Law's Dead Family. Oh lord! Um, suspicious, angry white man writes in, and he says, "Hello, Tom. I've been watching since just before your Nvidia's Ultimate Play video." And this is my first time writing in as I just subbed to the Patreon. Well, welcome. I may be a little late or early to ask this as Computex is right around the corner, but there have been rumors about AMD showcasing only the RX 7600 series at Computex this year, which I believe is in two weeks uh, when, yeah, when this comes out. While supposedly putting the RX 7800 and 7700 series of cards on the back burner for the time being, maybe all the way until late summer. Can you provide any insight as to why they might do this or or have already decided to do this because personally I'm hoping AMD is trying to fix or figure out what's causing performance issues with Navi 31 and 32 before releasing the 7800 XT and 7700 XT. Keep up the good work. Uh, honestly, you know, I would say why launch a 7800 XT based on Navi 31 if it won't be an obviously better option than 6950 XT? Frankly, this is the same thing me and you are just saying. Why launch a 7600 XT yeah, why launch a 7,608 gigabyte for more than a 6,710 gigabyte? Why? why? And so why launch a 7,800 XT for the same price as a 6,950 XT that's probably a little more performant? Yeah, I, and I, if you can avoid it, just don't manufacture it. And remember, I said Navi 33 was supposed to come out at the same time or before Navi 31. So for all we know, they have tons of these things sitting in warehouses they need to get rid of. Not the case probably with Navi 32. Don't even make it yet. Plus, people are buying up the 7900 XTX, you know? Yeah, and honestly, there's no real reason for them to release their 7700 and 7800 lines uh, until there's like a feature like uh, RDNA 3, or I'm, I'm assuming that will FSR be FSR 3, you mean. Why did I say RDNA? Yeah, FSR 3. I can 3. promise you it will feature RDNA 3. <laughs> <laughs> I, where I, I'm not sure if FSR three will be compatible with RDNA two, um, but there. Uh, I think it will be, but there are. I have personally heard rumblings, and I've leaked this before that there could be a version of RDNA three, if not at launch, but sometime in the future that ex- only works because of the hardware in RDNA three. So that is a thing that could be a factor, but so far I wouldn't say that's going to be here right away. I, I just don't see a reason though why uh, they would release their mid-range GPUs uh, without some feature to uh, accentuate them with versus the offerings they already have. Like so, without FSR 3.0 or without um, 
what are they calling their competitor to DLSS3? Uh, fluid frames, I, I believe. I think it, it's fluid frames or fluid motion, yeah. If they don't have one of those two features to compete with it, uh, I, I mean, to make the RDNA 3 look better than RDNA 2, it's just, there's no reason to put it out. <laughs> yeah, and so again, don't worry, suspicious angry white man, which we have our eye on you. Um, yes. and And get less angry. I don't know if you've seen the news. We don't need any more suspicious, angry white men right now. <laughs> but um, like, if you want a budget card, just get the 6700. If you want a decent 4K gaming card with enough VRAM, 6800s under 500, 6950 XTs around 600. Mm-hmm. You can get it now. I don't think you're going to regret it. And yeah. AMD kind of needed to launch Navi 31 and 33 at a certain point. 32 was always, always, you can go watch my old leaks, always going to come out way later. Well, so if they haven't started producing it yet, or if they haven't at least produced it in great quantities, switch that capacity, which it uses the same MCDs, by the way, and a different, uh, and, you know, 5 nanometer is at least the same node used for the GCD. Just make more 7900 XTXs, because there's literally no point in launching a 6900 XT for 6950 XT pricing or something. Like, yeah. why? <laughs> um, ever feel like a dog chasing its tail as you scour dozens of eBay postings and CD websites looking for a safe way to get reasonably priced Microsoft software? Well, you don't have to do that. Just go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by cdkeyoffer.com that offers both Microsoft operating systems, office products, select games, and even some gaming hardware peripherals for reasonable prices. And, you know, they've been a sponsor of Moore's Law's Dead and the entire team here for years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to dozens of me and Dan's family members and friends for years now. And they've also been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course, Microsoft products or gaming peripherals, Support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting one of our best long-term sponsors, cdkeyoffer.com today. Mazaria writes in and says, given the generally negative reception of AMD's low-end RDNA 2 GPUs, how likely do you think it is that an RDNA 3 analog to the RX 6400 will come along? I value the 6400's performance in low power and in low profile applications where PCIe cables aren't available, but something better and with more VRAM would be excellent. Zero. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if we get a if we get a 7500 XT, I feel like it's just going to be another Not 33. Yeah, oh, yeah, obviously. But I, I feel like there's a good chance that it's just going to be another 6500 XT, like how the 6500 XT basically was a 5500 XT and so on. Like, I think what you would see is either, I hope this isn't the decision they would make, a four gigabyte Navi 33 card that's heavily cut down for like 150. And they'd be like, eh, you know, it's uh I mean, what would that be? Then they'd be like at six, six, it's 6,600 performance with half the ramps. So you can't run half of the new games. I guess they could do that. Or I think the better choice, a 96 bit bus with six gigabytes for like 180, 7,500 yeah. XT. And they're like, look, it's a six gigabyte 
6600 XT or yeah, 6600 for half the price of what the 6600 was. But I think that's all you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see another like $140 64-bit card anytime soon. And from what I've heard from actually many contexts, both at AMD and outside of it, these 24 dies, the or these four dies, I should say, so 24 yeah. hypothetically in this generation would be 34. They're probably a thing of the past, just like the 108 dies are for NVIDIA. Like, there's mm-hmm. no point in making these micro GPUs anymore. People already hate them, and APUs are stronger than them. So what's the point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Let us then move on to story number four. AMD reports quarter one 2023 earnings, and I'm quoting here from Anantech. Today we have the yen to Intel's yang, AMD. The number two x86 chip and discrete GPU maker has been enjoying a growing diet of Intel's lunch for much of the past two years, but like the rest of the tech industry, AMD is now seeing a significant drop off in sales as business and consumers are alike curtailing tech spending and what is at least being regarded and acted around as a recession. For the first quarter of 2023, AMD has reported $5.4 billion in revenue, continuing the year-over-year slide they've been experiencing throughout the past few quarters. All told, AMD's top-line revenue dropped by 9% versus quarter one 2022, which is a much smaller drop than some of its rivals, but it is a situation that has probably been artificially buoyed by the Xilinx acquisition. That acquisition, which closed... It late into quarter one of 2022 has boosted AMD's revenue significantly on a year-over-year basis for the past few quarters. The additional revenue and sales that Xilinx has brought to the table has shifted AMD in some important ways, but it hasn't helped to halt the fundamental drop in sales that the tech industry itself is facing lately. As a result, the hit to AMD's income has been significant. Operating income dropped by 115% to negative 145 million, and net income saw a similar dive into the red with a 118% drop for a final tally of a $139 million loss. By the way, uh, last time I talked to Daniel Nenny, that that last broken silicon, there were a significant amount of comments that said, how can you have a, a over 100% drop? Guys, it went from profit to loss. That's how. Anyways, <laughs> though far from rival Intel's record-breaking loss, the most recent quarter is still a black eye for the black team who previously had been enjoying a run-up in business over the past several years on the back of the Zen renaissance. The one silver lining, though, is that AMD's core businesses as a whole have remained profitable. Overall margins for the company remain around 50%, and honestly, looking forward, AMD's recovery plans look a lot like the rest of the industry. It's not like you can say they're handling this any worse than anyone else. If quarter one is the bottom, then things will be marginally better in quarter two, and to that end, AMD is currently projecting $5.3 billion plus or minus $300 $300 million in revenue for quarter two, which would be a 19% year-over-year decline. The real recovery in the client and data center spaces is not expected, though, until the second half of this year, when AMD hopes to resume modest growth in those segments. And so, yeah, not there you go. That was the write-up. I thought it was well-written. Not a good quarter, but overall, I think you'd say the company seems healthy. And the only thing I'd add on to this write-up, and I did do a video about this, about talking about how AMD can afford to give us VRAM for reasonable amounts of money is that, well, many of AMD's segments weren't good. Their gaming revenue, which includes graphics cards, is, I mean, fine, and the margins remain healthy there. So AMD is not losing a bunch of money on these discount RDNA2 graphics cards. If they can afford 
to sell Navi 23 for under 300. 33 has a smaller die size. They can afford to sell this for cheap, guys. They can certainly afford to sell Navi 32 for 550 or less. Uh, but anyways, what do you think about AMD's earnings, Dan? Oh, I mean, you know, it's we're in a recession, question mark. Uh, that's what it's felt like for the past year. Well, so far, years. you'd say, I, I would say it's a light recession. Yeah. And uh, I think part the tech industry in particularly is being hit hard by it because, yeah, I don't know, they're the floor seemed to just fall out uh, from under them with demand because I, I think a lot of consumers just got tired of putting up with it. I, I, I The floor in demand, the drop in demand has been interesting to me, at least with consumer. As far as like data center goes, I don't know nearly as well what drives those changes in demand. I assume it's just uh, generally the market is. I think it's similar. I mean, this is something that I remember saying a lot last year on broken Silicon after broken Silicon, Dan, I know it seems like there are no graphics cards on the market. I know they're hard to get and I know they're overpriced, but they are selling out to someone and it's not all miners. Yes, miners made up a, a significant amount of sales, especially for NVIDIA. And, well, significant for AMD, just not as significant uh, as compared to NVIDIA. But it wasn't half of the sales, I don't think. It may have been a, at most a third from NVIDIA is the estimate I've seen. And they had crazy record-breaking sales numbers. So eventually, and I said this so many times, I said, eventually, I think people are going to be surprised that these cards are selling out because someone's actually buying them. and eventually. The number of people who will pay too much for a graphics card is a finite amount of people. And yeah. I think what we're seeing now is that number is gone. And how much are people willing to spend now? Uh, probably what they were before. <laughs> and for data center, Dan, we had a pandemic. People stuck inside. They needed more servers. They bought them up. Now they've already bought them. They don't need as many probably this year. Or they don't need to expand as much as they would have previous. Oh, I guess that no. makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I also think... Once again, we've talked about that before. Is there's been a, a, a pushback too, where I, I think a lot of people are the way they're reacting is maybe for a while we would have been willing, some people would have been willing to pay slightly more than what they would have in the past. And now people are fed up with the market, so it seems like they just want pricing to fall precipitously forever, which is good for it to, on one end. But I, I do think. Some of the discussion you see online verges on unrealistic and a little cartoonish what you expect out of the market. But Well, yeah, it's that backlash of like, in fact, as the prices continue to go down faster and faster, it makes people feel less pressure to buy now. And they just more people keep waiting. Um, like, I know you yeah. were kind of interested in eventually getting a Navi 31 card if they ever get to seven hundred dollars. And. It might, Dan, you, but you've been like, well, I don't know, though. If it gets to 700, should I wait longer? And by the way, on that note, I think I had a dream I bought you a 7900 XT last night. I'm just now realizing. That. Oh, that wasn't a dream, Tom. You did that. <laughs> Shoot. I got to stop <laughs> drinking and taking medicine before I go to bed. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but yeah, I think um, uh, I, I, I had that dream. And in the dream, you were just like, yeah, I want it, Tom. Get it. I was like, okay, Dan, are you sure? I don't know. Uh, you're very mad. I didn't get it already. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been. It's probably me. The angry text messages I keep sending you uh, 
about me about you not buying me a 7900 xt already tom it's weird the they've been coming from an anonymous uh account on email address that's just my social security number and i'm watching you that's you uh yes i guess i'll confirm that now that's you got a weird way of doing pranks dan that (laughs) (laughs) they call me the prankster some would call it someone would call it harassment but (laughs) um but no anyways though yeah it's funny i had a dream about that but i think you'll agree right we're me and you are less pressed to get things because we keep seeing prices go down and that's probably part of some of that whiplash effect where people are even less willing to buy even though prices have gone down yeah i mean i guess that's true because i I, i'm somewhat interested in the 7900 xt at like 700 or 750 but, you know, if it were more similar to what the market was a year and a half ago, I don't know, maybe I would jump on like it one flash crash into like $780 or something. Or 800 maybe even. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, wow, it's actually, you know, some crazy deal somewhere on eBay. But Although now- I do think as a matter of principle, like 7900 XT should be like 25% cheaper than the 7900 XTX at least. But, you know, it should be. And if we're being honest, it's the 7800 XT cost more to make than the 6800 XT did. But I don't think it costs more than 10, 20 percent more. So I think the fair price is 700, 750 yeah. in aligned you know, sales, assuming we agree that companies shouldn't always be able to get higher margins every generation. I don't remember when we all agreed that was something that we should accept. Or um, yeah, that's a, as a consumer, that's what you should want? Question mark. I don't know. There's like I swear there's some people like fall into that argument at some point um but yeah so anyways though amd's earnings not good whole industry not good but their margins remain overall good and their gaming margins weren't the issue yeah so guys they can afford a 750 dollars 7800 xt from navi 31 they can afford a 500 navi 32 16 gigabyte card for sure and they can certainly afford a let's be honest 260 7,608 gigabyte. And if they charge over 300, they're just trying to get like 60% margins on that thing, guys. Um, Or more, actually. (laughs) All right. But speaking of margins that did not hold up very well, let us now move on to story number five. Intel reports quarter one 2023 earnings. And quoting again from Anantech, the blue-hued blue chip is the first out of the gate to report their earnings for the first quarter of 2023, with Intel picking up the pieces after a rough end to last year and now with a rather painful start to 2023. For the first quarter of 2023, Intel booked $11.7 billion in revenue, a precipitous 36% drop from the year-ago quarter, which, let's remember, wasn't great. As was the case in quarter four, Intel is in the midst of a major industry slump, just hit revenues hard and operating net incomes even harder until closed the quarter in the red on an operating income basis, losing $1.5 billion. And the company's overall net loss was a staggering $2.8 billion on a gap basis. As a result, quarter one, 2023 is a record losing quarter for Intel with the company posting its biggest loss ever recorded, even amidst the, the company's many ups and downs, booms and busts, and crashes in the stock market over the last 54 years, the company has never lost more than a billion dollars in a quarter, let alone over $2 billion like they just did. 
Consequently, Intel's highly vaunted gross margin dropped to just 34.2%, its lowest in at least 20 years. And following quarter one, Intel's major overall initiatives remain unchanged, though, both with regards to product plans and operational expenses. As announced last year, the company is undertaking efforts to significantly cut expenses. And according to Pat Gelsinger, Intel is well on its way towards reducing costs by $3 billion in 2023, reaching an annual savings of $8 to $10 billion by the end of 2025. Otherwise, Intel does not have any major projects launches on its public roadmap for quarter two to significantly change the status. So don't be surprised if next quarter is as bad or worse. And one bright spot in terms of hardware development is that Intel's next generation, Intel 4 production process and associated meteor-like client CPUs have injured production with further ramping taking place throughout the year as Intel needs to deliver on five nodes in four years according to their own projections or according to their own claims of what they do. To have a serious chance of retaking readership in the fab market, this is at least a promising sign. Meteor Lake being produced now that they are on track. And then, uh, yeah, I can. And then I also included a link to WCCF Tech reporting that Intel plans to do another round of layoffs. And I can personally confirm Intel is nowhere near done doing layoffs. People I talked to at Intel said they're being warned by managers right now that many more rounds of layoffs are coming. I'd remind everybody. I believe a year ago, I leaked that Intel's going to lay off 10 to 20,000 people. They just confirmed 6,000 something. Yep. That doesn't mean I was wrong. That means, guys, they're not done. And they're probably trying to hide when, or not really hide, but like downplay and not execute on some of the layoffs until I've heard until something goes through with the CHIPS Act, actually. <laughs> so, because oh. they don't want to look bad at the US government. Although, I don't know how good they're going to look if the CHIPS Act and a bunch of funding from the U.S. government goes through and then they announce 10,000 firings. But, you know, Microsoft and a bunch of people have been doing that. We'll just see what happens. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to when the government gives a corporation a bunch of money if they tied a few more strings to that funding. But <laughs> That was the airline market, not Microsoft, that I was thinking of, at least, oh. where they got a bunch of funding and then laid people off. Real, real cool airline industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know cool. what else to say to that, but yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I looked at it uh, at their headcount, and they're reported like, like you said, something like six thousand people have been laid off between, or there are six thousand fewer people uh, employees reported versus uh, January to now. I should say, mm-hmm. and, and and again, so I don't say, well, I was wrong. I say no, from what I'm told. Like, without even asking, just people telling me, hey, by the way, they're warning mid-management more layoffs are coming. Like, no, th- th- there's more coming. And besides that, though, Dan, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on Intel's earnings. It's funny how I kind of had more to say about AMD's earnings because there was, like, something interesting. Like, oh, turns out their graphics cards aren't losing the money, huh, AMD? And their margins held up. With Intel, it's almost just like, hey, what do you want me to say? It's a disaster. They're losing money. Layoffs margins are i told everybody their margins were lower than amd's overall they are lower it's just not good yeah i i don't think there's too much to add. this is just a really really bad quarter hopefully next quarter is slightly better uh their their projections set are say it's slightly better than this quarter but they're still expecting 22 percent uh loss in revenue versus last year so not like things are going to be great yeah you know, and it's funny, you know, I go to some open houses for fun and I, I'm looking at maybe, you know, changing houses, trying to get a better studio for the channel within a year. And one of the people showing the house 
uh, asked me what I did, told him I'm a YouTuber and what I, and like that involves Intel, AMD and Nvidia. And I like kind of do analysis and he goes, Oh, what do you think about Intel? Because I own Intel stock. (laughs) (laughs) And I said to him, I don't see the evidence they've bottomed yet. You know, that's kind of what Intel's claiming right now is this is the bottom of it. I think they said on their last earnings, we think we bottomed. And I'm not seeing why they would bottom now and not in quarter two, at least when they have nothing else coming out then. And it seems to only be getting worse. I, I don't think they'll have bottomed until late this year, personally. Yeah, I mean, if um, Raptor Lake Refresh and uh, Meteor Lake turn out to be good, maybe, maybe quarter two will be the bottom. But Well, you saw my eyes light up. Let's talk about if those products you just mentioned will turn out well with story number six. Jesse here loves sticks, but it definitely wouldn't be healthy if I just let her chow down on them all the time as much as she would like to. The same is usually true for reasonably priced instant meals for humans. It's easy to feel stuck looking for something that's quick to cook, tasty, healthy, and cheap all at the same time. Well, unless you consider Vite Ramen, this piece of content is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers a ton of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy for you to add protein and other ingredients of your choice to make a complete party meal, or their ramen go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, whether at the office or at home. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on a variety of different products, including special bundles just for Moore's Law's Dead fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, and other food products, cooking utensils, and more. And when you order this spring, know that Vite just shut down for three months and relaunched their entire operation to improve speed, customer service, and just to improve things in the back end so they can keep up with how popular their product has become. Supporting them helps support me. And even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference. But I really do like their product and I recommend it. So if you're hungry for something that's healthy, cheap, and easy to make, check out Vite Ramen and use offer code BROKENSILICON today. Moore's Law's Dead drops massive leak divulging Raptor Lake, Rayfresh, Meteor Lake, Arrow Lake, and more details. Weeks ago, this channel leaked exhaustive details regarding AMD's upcoming Zen 4, Zen 5, and more products. And a few days ago, Intel's upcoming products also got their due from Moore's Law's Dead. In summary, Raptor Lake Refresh launches as 14th gen to desktop and HX Extreme laptops in quarter three of this year with solid boosts in single-threading and multi-threading performance and a notable efficiency increase for their mobile dies to the point that honestly, Intel may actually be able to argue they've retaken the desktop crown right before Zen 5 launches. And in fact, the 6 plus 8, 2 plus 8, and I believe there may have been one other one. Uh, uh, well, I mean, then of course, 8 plus 16 mobile Raptor Lake products may actually be able to almost catch up to some of AMD's APUs in efficiency. Uh, and then next to Raptor Lake refresh will be Meteor Lake launching to laptop and back to school season. And maybe desktop is like an i5 in the first half of next year. Meteor Lake goes up to six Redwood Cove big cores and eight Crestmont little cores. According to some projected performance testing I've seen for near final silicon, Redwood Cove should offer an up to 10% higher IPC 
increase for Redwood Cove and maybe a 5 to 8% IPC increase for Crestmont over the Gracemont, Little Cores, and Raptor Lake. Depending on how Intel decides to test for IPC in their official announcements, which again, IPC is not perfect, guys. Depending on what tests they decide to include in the roster for the average and depending on what clock speed they run that test at, the IPC could be entirely different things. It honestly wouldn't surprise you if Intel found a way to claim they have a 12% IPC increase. Although if they were an idiot about it, they could maybe be as low as 5%. So for now, let's just assume it's like a 6 to 12% IPC increase for Redwood Cove over Raptor Cove. Uh, additionally, they will, according to at least one source of mine, be using the Ultra moniker instead of the I moniker for branding of Meteor Lake. So Ultra 5, Ultra 7, Ultra 9 instead of I5, I7, and I9. The reason I believe they would do that is because they're going to have the same core counts as most of Mobility Raptor Lake Refresh, and they want a way Mm -hmm. to say, this is similar performance to the Raptor Lake laptop, but you get double the battery life or something. Uh, Although clock speeds are not bad, Meteor Lake should go up to 5.4 gigahertz. Its integrated graphics go up to 128 execution units of Battle Mage. That should be around 1650 Ti Max-Q performance. There's the possibility of up to 512 megabytes of Adamantine L4 cache for the GPU. Technically, I can only confirm their testing prototypes with Adamantine. I can't confirm if specific SKU will get it. And again, like I said with the Ultra thing, efficiency, Meteor Lake apparently consumes 30 to 45% less energy than Raptor Lake refresh, not even just standard Raptor Lake at same performance level. So there's a chance you could have some Meteor Lake APUs using half the energy of Raptor Lake APUs uh, for the same level of performance, which is really, I think, impressive. Yeah, Yeah, that that seems odd to me. That that just sounds like, at least for laptops, at at, at that tier of performance, it should just be Meteor Lake that they release, but... Well, but volume, capacity, and they made them anyways. And, you know, maybe there's a chance when Meteor Lake first comes out, they have low volume. So you're going to want to be able to keep spitting out Raptor Lake. But I somewhat agree there, especially with how much oversupply of Alder Lake they apparently have. But anyways, after Meteor Lake and Raptor Lake refresh, uh, in late 2024, if everything goes well, hopefully, Arrow Lake should launch with up to eight Lion Cove big cores, 16 Little Skymont cores on LGA 1851, a new platform. Uh, it should bring 22 to 34% higher IPC than Redwood Cove, which would be, yes, 30 to 50% higher IPC than Raptor Cove. It Right now, in a recent test that was just conducted in the past month, 40% higher performance in both multi-threading and single-threading at same TDP with... Uh, Arrow Lake 6 plus 8 configuration, 6 big, 8 little cores versus 6 plus 8 Meteor Lake near final silicon. So, yeah, we're looking at a massive uplift in efficiency and performance over Meteor Lake. There's a new L4 cache system, I'm told, for the Lion Cove cores. I'm told that's not Adamantine for now. And also, there could be a second generation of Adamantine using Intel 7 or their 10 nanometer node for the integrated graphics. And those integrated graphics should have 320 celestial execution units and offer between 4050 to 4060 performance and integrated. Oh, and Sierra Glencore is a Crestmont Plus in Sierra Forest, which I know a code name. Cool. Also, though, I've heard that Crestmont Plus is only, or Sierra Glen is only 8% better than Gracemont. So that's below Ice Lake performance without hyper threading per core. I do not understand how Intel thinks 144 not Ice Lake cores without hyper threading will confer will compete 
with 128 Zen 5 cores in server early next year. But I guess that's what they got. And uh, yeah, Granite Rapids, though, still sounds good and on schedule with Redwood Cove Plus. That should be 5 to 10% higher IPC than Redwood Cove and Meteor Lake. So it seems like Granite Rapids is ahead of schedule and performing above expectations and Meteor Lake is underperforming. And anyways, though, that's a lot. In conclusion, this writer would summarize all of that information into Intel's competitive situation this way. Number one, Intel should be able to tread water in performance this fall if Meteor Lake and Raptor Lake are turn out well and launch on time. 2024 is going to be a very rough year competitively for Intel trying to compete with Zen 5 until Air Lake comes out. And number three, there does seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel, though, if Intel can execute everything well moving forward. But if Air Lake turns out like Meteor Lake, launching late into 2025 and below their performance estimates they're getting now, or in projections and testing they're getting now, then honestly, I have to call Intel's future into question. Granite Rapids and Air Lake have to be killers and come out on time. And finally, a tidbit I got into in this video, it does seem like the performance of both AMD and Intel integrated GPUs are pushing OEMs to drop sub 4070 GPUs, so no more 4060 or 4050s, and a lot of upcoming laptops. And that's because they don't believe it's worth cutting your battery life in half to add an expensive GPU that may is only, maybe is only 50% better. I actually showed a chart in that leak about a Dell XPS laptop where you could see that right now a Raptor Lake Lovelace laptop might get nine hours of battery life and mixed usage, not even gaming. Mm -hmm. They think Meteor Lake may get that to 15 to 18 hours or something. <laughs> and that would allow them to advertise better than MacBook M2 battery life. Like yeah. Better than MacBook battery life. And they think the integrated will trade blows with the MacBook anyways. So why would we buy a graphics card that cuts our battery life in half if it's not double the performance? And that means they think only the 4070 is really worth it anymore or higher. All right. Well, so I just talked a lot. Please go on. Yeah. So with the, those 320 execution unit iGPUs, that would be getting close to Strix, right? Well, I don't know if it would be Halo Strix, but. Right. Strix. Point. I, I have more. Okay. So I have more specifics about Strix's performance. Like okay. I have whole yeah, yeah, charts yeah. and documents and benchmarks with like 3D, you know, Fire Strike, Time Spy, and like all of it points to AMD wants to be around. I think RTX 4070 laptop, 90 watt performance. Mm -hmm. So not the very pushed one, but maybe just at a typical 4070 laptop level of performance. With the 120 watt APU, meaning that you're saving a ton of energy because it's both uh, it's both a 16 core CPU too, not an eight core. Oh, that's true. And yeah. a GPU, so that's crazy. Um, and then their low end ones, they're saying like the Max Q APUs, if you want to call them that, like the 20 watt ones with six cores and 20 compute units. That's what they're comparing to a 4050. My estimation of Intel's performance is between 4050 and 4060. So. No, I think it's conceivable the best Arrow Lake APUs with Adamantine perform like the bottom third of Strix. Okay. But, and maybe some of the mid-level ones, but top Strix, I think, will be at least 20 to 40% stronger. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I, I just think at that point, uh, yeah, a a AMD and Intel have kind of killed low-end 
GPUs and laptops then, right? <laughs> I mean, hell, maybe even to mid-range GPUs and laptops, because I, I don't see why you would pair uh, uh, any CPU with a discrete graphics card when you have up to 40 compute units available or uh, or 320 execution units. I mean, for uh, Intel, uh, like the lower, that might even be breaking it into like low mid-range uh, gaming performance. There's just, there's no place for discrete graphics cards at that level of performance anymore, unless they're just, the OEMs are just slotting the uh, new components into old designs. Right. And speaking of slotting new components into old designs, uh, I forgot to mention this in the write-up, <laughs> Arrow Lake's base die is the same as Meteor Lake. Like, so oh, it's not just okay. socket compatible. It's like compatible, compatible, compatible. Like, yeah, you'll, yeah. it'll be like, you know, with Rembrandt to Rembrandt Plus, like literally your, your you know, ROG laptop, throw in the new APU that's a little better, you're done. Yeah. That's how it's going to be. And so if you're an OEM and you're like, huh, so if we design a grounds up design for this Meteor Lake laptop now, we know that Arrow Lake and Honestly, conceivably, stuff like Lunar Lake and Panther Lake will just be dropping compatible with the socket. And already the socket's making us wonder if it's worth discrete graphics. Let's put in the work and do cutting-edge, thin and light designs now that shock people how thin they are for how they perform. Because we'll be able to milk that chassis for years. Now's the time to do the redesign. And the same with AMD. They know a lot of the upcoming like Strix points going to be compatible with Phoenix. They know Strix Halo is going to be something that gets upgraded every year. If you're an OEM, whether it's Intel or AMD, you're doing your redesigns now. And apparently half of the laptops that had dedicated graphics before are getting axed. No I more have, dedicated. They don't see the point. I, ha- I have to wonder um, if NVIDIA is behind the scenes freaking out right now about laptop. I mean, it, it seems like they canceled their... Uh, they're they were trying to hold on to some of the like thin and lights uh with the mx line which they've now axed but Pretty i don't much, know yeah and they may launch new mx's but they're not going to be what they could have been they're they're going to be for like really specific scenarios like you know they'll be like your 40 50 64 bit models that have four gigs of ram for like bundling with like six core rembrandts i guess like that's probably where you're or even saison probably in budget ape uh netbooks like that's where you're going to see them, but that's not a very high volume market anymore. It used to be a high volume. Mm-hmm. The MX 150 sold a ton of volume. I, I don't think it is anymore. You know, the NVIDIA people I talk to, they just go, eh, it's just the reality of the market. We want to become an AI company. And frankly, those GPUs at the bottom never made us a lot of money. The only okay. reason <laughs> someone told me the only reason they made the MX 150 die is because, I mean, they couldn't believe Intel was actually only going to have Skylake integrated graphics until like 2019. <laughs> and so they went, so wait, you're telling me for like the next three or four years, because they would have gotten this before they even launched Pascal. They would have like back in 2016 seen Intel's roadmaps and been like, oh, so wait, most of your integrated graphics are going to be terrible for like the next five years. All right, we'll design this micro Pascal die because mm-hmm. even though we're maybe only selling these for 20 bucks, Maybe we can sell a ton of them and the market wants it, but that's just not the case anymore. And they don't, they just seem to accept it and not really worry about it too much. Yeah, I know. But with the uh, Celestial, uh, I mean, with 
Arrow Lake and uh, Strix, I mean, I think it's getting to the point where that might, uh, Intel and AMD might be challenging 50 and 60 performance with an APU, which I, the, I imagine the 50 and 60s for laptops are relatively high volume for in, uh, NVIDIA. They are, you know, and uh, yeah, I don't know what else you want me to say about <laughs> that, you know. Yeah. And, and it's just so interesting. I thought the, the part of the leak I enjoyed working on the most was, you know, the analysis around what these OEMs are deciding. And it was so funny. They were like, unless we can get above the linear difference in performance and battery. So if we cut our battery in half, we want at least double the graphics performance. Unless you can offer us something better than that, it's just a trade-off. You're going, mm-hmm. do we want the knob to turn to battery life or graphics? Oh, but the graphics one also makes us design a more complicated, thicker, heavier laptop that costs more. More expensive, yeah. <laughs> well, then we might as well just turn it to all battery and save money because we think this is enough performance. And when I reverse engineered, like the, because Jared's Tech also just did an excellent video looking at 40 watt performance of the Lovelace graphics cards. When I adjusted for that, depending on which die you're talking about, because the bigger dies lose more performance at lower TDPs. Um, it's like 25 to a 40% performance drop to go to max Q. And then you account for the difference in battery life. Like both everything pointed to, if you can get an APU stronger than a 1650, they don't want dedicated graphics cards in the mid range or low end anymore. And it it was just Mm -hmm. funny to realize, yeah, you know, maybe meteor lakes performance is going to be 10 to 20% better than Phoenix, but that's just at the level where they go and we're done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um but besides that i don't did you have any other thoughts about like any disappointments excitements about meteor lake or raptor lake refresh or something um i mean with those two it 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 doesn't seem especially i i mean it doesn't seem like they're all that innovative i mean meteor lake power performance seems to be really good i think there's something that they're doing with like idle power through their base dive i am mm. blanking right now <laughs> that i think will be pretty innovative and i think it's worth pointing out that uh, so phoenix is more efficient than raptor lake but as far as we can tell it's only like 15 to 30 percent more efficient so raptor lake refresh may only be a little less efficient than phoenix and meteor lake therefore should have a huge efficiency advantage over phoenix to the point that I wonder if it's similar efficiency to Strix, or only slightly worse. Now, look, Strix is going to have 12 big cores. Yeah. That's going to crush. It's going to have uh, integrated performance that, as far as I can tell, is like 30 to 50% better than Meteor Lake. But it's not like it's twice as good, nor, twi- nor significantly more efficient. So there is something to be said that Meteor Lake, as long as it can launch six months before Strix, is kind of like getting Strix early. Yeah, I, I mean, Meteor Lake looks like a, a scaled down peak into like what future products will be, but it's scaled down. So, I, I mean, one, you're going to get really good perform uh, uh, performance per watt, which will be great for smaller laptops. So it's it, it's kind of like a repeat of Tiger Lake in a lot of ways than it seems. Uh, but you're not getting really new levels of performance. You're just getting really good efficiency. And, you know, that will speak to, like you said, what like Strix and what Arrow Lake will look like, which is iterating on Meteor Lake. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, all I can then say is 
it has to come out for back to school. It was going to slip to quarter four, but Pat said, well, wh- how much money do you need? That just can't happen. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like sense. if this launches next to Strix, <laughs> don't forget this, guys. Meteor Lake uses Intel 4, I think TSMC 6 nanometer and a bunch of different nodes and it's 3D stacked. Strix is a monolithic 210 millimeter squared APU that might beat Meteor Lake at everything. Mm-hmm. If it is, it has to, like, again, these are the levers you pull. You launch first. Uh, okay. Well, so if you're, or if you're like not better, then you have to launch first to market. And that's why Meteor Lake has to, uh, because otherwise it's just a more expensive Strix that's a little worse. <laughs> I yeah, mean. I, yeah. If Intel doesn't execute on all of these when they, when you're currently in this video saying they plan on doing it, then they're screwed. Right, like exactly because because I think it's a good way to put it is Raptor Lake refresh and uh, Meteor Lake tread water. I mean, so like that might even arguably be better than what AMD has right now, which is good. And you know, for new products, that means uh, OEMs should probably go with Intel uh, when they're designing laptops uh, for a little bit. But it's that that's really all you can say. That's not a huge deal. Uh, having a product that's slightly better than your competitors eight months later or six months later or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they keep, fo- and if they, these fall behind what they've been talking about, which Intel has a habit of doing uh, lately, then you're just at a point where they're releasing worse things at the same time as their competitor. So yeah, it, 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 Meteor Lake and Raptor Lake refresh need to come out later this year and hit those things they're supposed to be able to achieve because they're already well maybe not raptor lake but meteor lake's already performing a little worse than they projected it would they they, i'm telling you guys their goal is a 15 percent ipc increase and if they only get around 10 percent, okay and a year late (laughs) yeah and then if arrow lake and granite rapids deliver on time it looks like they might actually be on par with AMD at the same time. Or better. Time. I mean, Air Lake, I could see it beating Zen 5 by a solid 10% in IPC. You never yeah, know. and if they do that, then I, I don't think they're treading water anymore if they release it around the same time as AMD. You know? Right. And, and, you know, I just, the one last thing I'd want to say is, you know, I think Raptor Lake Refresh has turned out better than Intel expected. I think. You know, but it, it's only really treading water if it's the upper ends of what I'm told it's going to be. That is, over 10% multi-threading performance increase, hopefully at least 6.3, 6.4 gigahertz boost clocks. If it's only 6.2 and it's like a 5% multi-threading increase, I don't really see how that moves the needle almost at all. But but mm-hmm. if it gets to double-digit performance increases at same power, I think that's enough that Raptor Lake can claim they've got the desktop crown again, surprisingly. But also remember, it costs more to make than Zen 4. So I think what you're going to see this fall, guys, I mean, especially with how sales are going, I checked today and a lot of the X3D parts are already in stock. There's been a couple sales too on a couple websites here and there. I think AMD is going to have, if they need to, $350, 7,800X3Ds, below $200, 7,600s. They're going to have $500, 16 cores, maybe below $600, 16 cores with Vcash. If AMD does that, yeah, Intel. this is treading water, not because Intel might not retake the crown, but if Intel's selling you a $650 14900K that's marginally better than a $500 14900K, 
16 core that uses half the energy. You'd hope it's at least 30% better <laughs> for 30% more or something. You, or, yeah. Like you, you wouldn't be excited about that. Um, the, the one, go on. the one last thing, this isn't really, it, it's tangentially related to this leak. It, it uh, is the change of, to the, of the eye branding for meteor. Lake. Oh, yeah. it's like, I don't know. What do you think? Like, do you think Intel thinks they've killed their, like, as far as like a positive like consumer association, do you think they've they think they've killed the i brand completely and they just need to get rid of it? Or I can't claim to know a ton about this. You know, I saw it on WC or not uh, on video cards a couple weeks ago or something. You know, before I even put the leak out, something about Ultra. It's not something I looked into that much. Uh, but one of my contacts said Intel reps are saying Ultra for Meteor like a lot. No, and, uh, I, I just saw this uh, head of. Uh, one of the PR heads at Intel said that confirmed it in a tweet that they're t- uh, oh today or something uh, a week ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. I didn't even know that. I, I, I'm just <laughs> thinking, like, I guess people didn't know if they would use Ultra for everything, but I guess I confirmed it seems to just be for Meteor Lake. Okay, as because a distinguishing factor to Raptor Lake. It, it's not clear in that tweet, which I'll send to you, uh, if they're just doing it as a change for Meteor Lake, or if they think that they've killed the good they brand. need to kill or, 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 or that they or need they, to yeah, yeah. That, that they've killed the reputation of the i branding so they need to change it to something new after a, f- a few years of this it, it, it's just kind of crazy to me to think that they are actually changing that because well you know that's an that's interesting such a, thought though dan because arrow lake i think could finally take the crowns there'd be people that go raptor lake did and i'd say no it didn't <laughs> Raptor Lake didn't take any freaking crowns, really. It like got a one percent win in gaming while using double the energy. Yay! <laughs> what a technological achievement. I mean, come on, guys. But Arrow Lake, I think, might use the same energy or less than. Well, I guess let's not say that because I don't even know what they'll do with energy overall. But I could see Arrow Lake laptop chips being way more efficient than Zen Five and Arrow Lake desktop chips taking the performance crown by twenty percent. You know, that's a win. And calling that ultra, that'd be the right time to do it. To kill the eye brand when you're ahead again. And maybe they just feel they need to do that now with Meteor Lake early, because it will probably beat Phoenix at absolutely everything, let's be honest. Um, yeah, it costs more and it's a year late. And should we really brag about a 3D stacked elaborate chip beating a 170 millimeter squared APU? <laughs> I don't know. But Intel can claim they've got wins. Um, so yeah, maybe that is just, they're killing the eye brand. I thought of it just from the context of distinguishing between them, but I guess you could argue if they continue to succeed, this is the time to do it. Yeah. Um, although, you know, I, I guess another thing I thought of, I do have to say this guys, AMD hasn't launched Vcash APUs yet, and I know they have Vcash dragon range. So Meteor Lake may win gaming against Phoenix, but what happens when AMD launches a Vcash 16 and 8 cores? I, I don't think they'll win gaming anymore. And, you know, and their APU will be better than Phoenix, but it's going to cost more. So I don't know. I, I would just point that out that it's still not like AMD doesn't have options even this year. They 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 can launch Vcash models that how that just roundhouse kick Meteor Lake and performance at same power. And then next year, they'll have Fire Range Vcash Zen 5 that at least in laptop, I think will probably tie Arrow Lake. So 
in, Intel's not out of the woods yet. It's just the start of things looking better, I think, late next year. And even mm-hmm. this year, AMD's got options. Um, I don't know whatever man writes in. Hola, Tommy and Danny. Tommy, what do your AMD contacts think, or what's their gut feelings about Intel's adamantine? I'm surprised that Intel seemingly is getting such large cache numbers compared to AMD. AMD is now poultry 64 megabytes, or is it more nuanced than that? Nothing. AMD and NVIDIA people I talked to before I leaked adamantine details said they'd never heard of it. And they have, and to this day, they don't tell me they have anything to say. Um, I think they want to see how they're doing it and what it is before they say anything, because, you know, when you see capacities that large, there are a lot of people at these companies that say things like, well, what is it just fast SRAM? I mean, is it really cash? You know, mm-hmm. and from what I've heard is from people at Intel is that they have a very, very novel way to give you almost infinity cash performance with quadruple the capacity or something. <laughs> and I think the opinion of AMD is let's see it and then I'll believe it <laughs> and then I'll comment on it. But until they know how much it costs, you know, is this just brute force? Until they know if it actually performs even remotely close to Infinity Cash, they don't really have anything to say. Um, Beefish36 writes in and asks, I've been thinking about Strix Halo leak, and it got me thinking about something else. Assuming it launches and is specced, as you say, and Intel can get Air Lake running with an art graphics style that competes somewhat, could this squeeze NVIDIA out of the laptop market? I think I accidentally brought this up. <laughs> yeah, before we got to this reader mail. So, yeah, no, I think it, I think, look, NVIDIA is going to be in high-end everything for a long time in gaming, but they're going to get start getting squeezed out of markets, and it's funny that this seems shocking when, didn't we already say this like is probably going to happen for years, though? I, I feel like people have been fantasizing about a Strix-like APU for, like, a decade now, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, Stino764 writes in Hi Tom and Dan, do you guys think that AMD's Strix Halo will ever be made as a desktop APU next to their laptop lineup or would a move like that not make sense for AMD? Well, it won't fit on AM5 and you'd be surprised at how many people in the comments have then said well, so will they launch a new socket for Strix Halo on desktop? I, I think Why would you? I, I don't I, think, I think so. I think the scenario where you would get it on desktop is if some if some company like releases a soldered motherboard thing that you can slot into a desktop or something like that. Oh, and I have no doubt that there will be Strix Nux that are desktop chips Yeah, with a motherboard with a soldered on chip. Yeah. I think you're going to look at that for sure. 100% that will exist. Minis forum will have one. I'm sure. Hopefully I'll get to test it. Um, in terms of a socket, it would have to use Threadripper, and I just don't see the point of launching that. I, I don't know. Or I, it would, or it would just need its own unique socket, right? Or would it fit? I, I guess I don't know if you. Maybe know it that. could fit in a Sienna socket, so maybe it could fit in a budget Threadripper board. And I guess you might argue, oh well, you know, you get because Threadripper is two fifty six bit. So I, I'll say this: it's conceivable it could go into the budget Threadripper line that might use Sienna, but. I don't know why that would be a priority to launch unless you had a limited amount of yields that use double the energy that aren't good enough for laptop. And you're like, I don't know. We're just launching this to see if people want this. Mm-hmm. Because remember, it would be very cool if there was a $400 Strix APU that you could throw in your AM5 system and game like the performance of an, I don't know, an RX 7800 non XT or, an, yeah, something. Well, I wouldn't even be that. It'd be like an RX. 
It'd be like an RX 60, uh, 7700 non XD. If you could, or actually be weaker than that. So, you know, if you could game in between Navi 33 and Navi 32 for 400 bucks with a 16 core included, that'd be cool. But I don't know why AMD would be selling you 16 cores with graphics for less than they're going to sell the 16 core yeah, desktop. I mean, that, I imagine if they put Strix Halo on on a, a desktop, they could 800 sell. 800 bucks, right? I mean, yeah, I, I was going to say they could sell for eight, 900 bucks probably. <laughs> Right. And so that makes it a Threadripper chip. And then you go, okay, well, that might still be cool for some people if they want to make the ultimate small form factor build. And it's like, yeah, but so if it has to use a Threadripper motherboard, are they excited to buy a $500 motherboard to do this? I I don't think it makes sense, guys. This is purpose built for laptop and for NUX. There will be NUX with it soldered on. But in terms of putting it in a socket you buy on Newegg, I don't see it. Um, Keekum writes in, hi, Tom. Long time viewer, first time writing in. Do you think there is potential for AMD to fall into competitionless complacency like Intel did during the IVG during the Ivy Bridge era through KB Lake era, uh, where Jennifer Gen performance increases were lackluster to almost nothing? This has been a wonder and a worry of mine for a while now that AMD is a true contender in all markets again, while Intel keeps downsizing and doesn't bring products to market. Why wouldn't AMD do this? Well, because they don't want it to ever happen again, nor happen to them what's happening to Intel right now. And, and, and oh, and, and I think uh, there's a pretty inherent bi- difference between where we're at right now and where uh, AMD and Intel were at a decade ago to five years ago, where in- AMD basically didn't launch a desktop CPU for like five years. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> like, was terrible. It, it's well three or four but yeah. yeah yeah you're yeah you're right yeah but like it, it, it intel <laughs> was so far ahead of amd that the comparison is is a bit off like amd is definitely ahead of intel right now but they're not where they're not the same degree of <laughs> of distance that uh we have right now where I, it feels like Intel is like half a step behind AMD to to a full step behind AMD at all times. Where now, uh, back then, AMD was like three steps behind Intel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and at the end of the day, like anyone who complains about AMD getting complacent, just remember they're nowhere near to the level of complacency that intel did like people are complaining about 16 core stagnation while amd gives you 30 percent performance increases still every generation with new features that's not complacency and everyone i talk to at amd zen 6 is ambitious zen 5 supposedly a bigger deal than zen 4 all evidence is that amd is has has no plans to slow down for like the next three or four years so and, and, you know, frankly, the final thing I'd say about this question is, you know, they're not just competing with Intel right now in a lot of their server roadmaps. AMD is comparing their Bergamo products to Apple's upcoming server products and ARM and Graviton and all this other stuff and NVIDIA's Grace. Like e- Intel could disappear and AMD needs to innovate to keep competing with like a dozen other companies. So, no, n- there's no complacency here whatsoever before we even talk about intel there can't be and there's no evidence on the roadmaps there will be um also i just sent you a picture of what jesse looks like right now while we've been talking i think i will want to put that on screen 
Because she's not always in the background, but this god dang Belgian Melanois coonhound dog here will not leave my side. And that's usually what, if you don't see Jesse guys, that picture on screen is usually what's at my feet. <laughs> uh, dogs. But let us not get lazy like Jesse here and move on to story number seven. Rumors emerge of Blackwell getting delayed by three nanometer issues, by three nanometer issues. But Daniel Nenny and a couple sources of mine think otherwise. So I don't have a big write up here, but I did want to address the rumors from DigiTimes that NVIDIA was delaying Blackwell due to TSMC three nanometer issues. Just had Daniel Nenny on the podcast. He says that's bullshit. That, you know, basically, as far as he can tell, and he was just at like a symposium of TSMCs, it seems like by his calculations, three nanometer is full stop six months behind. But Blackwell isn't supposed to launch this year. It's launching late 2024. NVIDIA planned Blackwell to use three nanometer, kind of accounting for if there could be delays <laughs> in the node. So there's there's no evidence three nanometer won't be ready by then. Uh, Daniel said by the end of this year, three nanometer yields should be better than four nanometer yields. It's just, they it's six months behind. And another source I talked to pointed out, hey, remember how we've been talking about how uh, NVIDIA has one or two years of oversupply. You know, since my NVIDIA Ampere oversupply leak, I've been saying NVIDIA made one to two years too much of Ampere. And then we pub yeah. know from public information that NVIDIA's ordered more Lovelace than they did Ampere. Now, they may cut orders, but they still probably made way too many already. Guys, they have one to two years still of product they need to get rid of. If they delay Blackwell, it's probably They'll because survive. they have too much stuff to sell. <laughs> right yeah they'll survive <laughs> and they think they'll survive they think you know it, amd could launch early they'll be okay and and even if it's a hit there's always businesses making decisions in an imperfect world and they're like we'll give amd a head start if it means we don't have to throw away 50 million graphics cards or something i i don't not saying that so much it is but i think it's over 10 million still or something so yeah that's how much they have. And uh, and then also keep in mind that OEMs are designing their low-end products out this year. Maybe a generation sooner than NVIDIA expected, although they expected it eventually. Mm-hmm. And what are they going to do with all those graphics cards? So if Blackwell is being delayed, I don't think it's because of TSMC 3 nanometer. Um, all right, let me move on to a reader mail from Grand Demand. He writes in and says, any new rumblings about Titan ADA? I would love to not spend $6,800 for a 48-gigabyte graphics card that gets reviewed. Nope. Nothing. Nothing to say. Yes, so I'll spend uh, $6,800. I think it would probably be 48 gigabytes and be 3000 That's my guess. But, yeah. I mean, it kind of would sense. have to be. I think I've heard they're selling in bulk uh, RTX 6000s if you buy multiple of them for like three grand. So I imagine a 48 gigabyte Titan, which is just a 6,000 card that needs more voltage. Yeah. They probably want to sell it for the same price, though, with that crazy cooler. Um, it is so funny, though. NVIDIA's almost managed to push the price of their gaming cards to the price of their Quadro cards. Well, at that um, point, it's just start marketing Quadros to gamers or something, you know? 
or selling them directly to miners. QH Freddy writes in and says, do you think NVIDIA skimping on VRAM is motivated by planned obsolescence or by them watching to avoid GeForce cards cannibalizing Quadro sales? Both, and they want to save space. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, I don't, I don't think the planned obsolescence thing is going to work anymore because AMD's mostly caught up to them, and I think they're calling their calling them on their BS by, you know, giving cards more RAM. <laughs> well, yeah. And I do want to say this about the, you know, planned obsolescence thing I see people throw around in the comments all the time. I think there's a certain degree of NVIDIA going, oh, if they have to upgrade sooner, sounds good. But I don't think they're going, we have to make sure this doesn't work in three years. <laughs> yeah. That is not, no one at NVIDIA is doing that, guys. And they're just going, what's the minimum we need to win all the benchmarks when this comes out? And if it happens to age worse, we don't really care as long as it's good for a year. Mm -hmm. Th that's what they're doing. But they're not like literally planning obsolescence, I don't think. Uh, Maverick writes him, do you think, oh, again, this uh, guy from Top Gun, do you think that with all the discussions around VRAM, NVIDIA will launch super variants of Lovelace with more VRAM to make them more competitive and optically better buys? I think it would make more sense to just launch an RTX 5000 series that's Lovelace 2.0. I think you get a super series if they think they could. The super, I think the super series, the stuff and all of the variants you got out of Ampere. Oh, Turing. Yeah. Super was Turing. Sorry. I, I, yeah, Turing and then all of the other variants you got out of Ampere. I think you got those because they thought that they could squeeze slightly more money by change, slightly changing like the gates they have on their binning process. And I think you'll get supers or TIs or whatever if they think that they can do that again. But I don't know. This is a lower demand uh, cycle, so I don't think there's as much of a... I, I don't think there's as much of a pressure on them to, you know put out a million different variants so they can squeeze slightly more money out of them because nobody wants them anyways. So I don't think, I don't think, uh, people are going to want to buy a $850 4070 super when they don't want to buy an $800 4070. Well, yeah. And you know, I think it's far more likely if they need a double VRAM and a, a respond to a market that isn't buying their stuff, I think it's far more likely they do an RTX 5000 series because I think it would be just so silly to go with Super and all of this other stuff. Like Lovelace is selling terrible compared to their previous gens, relatively speaking. And if it's selling terribly, so you have brand damage, and then you also need to make major adjustments to the lineup, I think it's pretty obvious that what NVIDIA would do is launch an RTX 5090 that's the full die with faster memory and 48 gigabytes, which let's remember... That would be a new flagship that's probably 20% better than the current one with double the RAM. That's enough to call it a new series, I think. And you could just call that the RTX 5090, charge two grand. You could then launch a 5080 that's the full die with 32 gigabytes or something crazy for 1200. And you could just go down the stack, get everything more RAM and better yields. And I think they could have a 20% boost with double the RAM across the board. And you know, they could launch that before RDNA 4 is ready. And I think that's a way smarter move than trying to do some super thingy. Um, and also, you know, though, I will say one person did point this out to me behind the scenes. 
know, if we doubled the RAM of everything, though, that would increase the cost of RAM, possibly, if both us and AMD did that. So mm. I still just think it's likely they try to make do this generation. Yeah. I, I mean, the one reason I think that they might just go super instead of uh, calling it a new generation is... I, I don't know if I'm just misreading what they're doing, but it seems like NVIDIA is more opposed to rebadge generations than they used to be. And they, they w- are. They would prefer to just keep, if it's the same architecture or, or same dies, keep it with, call it the same lineup and just add a new modifier t- to the name. Mm-hmm. Like Super yeah. TI or Gigabyte quantities, whatever they feel like doing with the given model. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think super is really necessary this time. That was, I'm told by multiple people, you know, including some reviewers that I talked to behind the scenes, that the super thing with Turing, that was insanely last minute. Like, that Mm. came out of nowhere. I don't think they liked the super naming. They just needed something that would work and wasn't TI because they're going to launch supers next to TIs. I don't think it's necessary. I think if they do new VRAM models, you can just have 4080 TI. You can have 40, you know, I guess I don't know what they do with the 4070, but, you know, they could just launch it. It's already the full die. They could just launch a 24 gigabyte 4070. They could launch, you know, whatever. I don't think they need supers this gen. Yeah. Um, QH Freddy writes in, do you think NVIDIA might completely leave the consumer gaming graphics card space at some point? Do you think they are doing so already? And dedicated GPU sales appear to have been on a slow decline year on year for over a decade, and NVIDIA has a strong presence in the far more lucrative professional market already. Obviously, over the years, GPU shipments have shifted to higher ASP cards, like the ultra-low-end has disappeared, and the growth in professional data center appears to be far faster. What's stopping them from filling in the towel on low-margin consumer products already? Competition, but they want to. I mean, guys, there's no way around it. I think this VRAM thing and AMD's aggressiveness has thrown a wrench in their plans. I think they, they, look, they wanted the 4070 to be 700 at least. They wanted the 4060 Ti to be 500 something. They wanted the 4060 to be 400. Mm-hmm. They did. But now they won't. And this doesn't change their overall goal of doing that eventually. I don't think they plan to leave the dedicated space though for a decade. I, I mean, know? yeah. Who, who knows how, like 10 years from now, maybe they'll make the decision to just be a completely AI company or something. But even then, I, th- I think I, they'd I think, still make a 103 and a 104 and a 106 die. Less dies, maybe they wouldn't make a 90, maybe they wouldn't make low end, but I think they'd still make that mid-range to high end. I think the gaming market still serves an important part of their of their business model where, you know, they give us the dies that they can't give to Quadro. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, that is all of the stories and the questions for those. Let us now get to the wrap up. These are the final stories that we go through that we don't think deserve their own full conversation, but we do think are worth mentioning. All right, so Dan, the Microsoft Activision deal is blocked. <laughs> um, not that could have gotten its own story if it wasn't a high news cycle, actually. But what do you think about it? <laughs> Not super surprising, but uh, I think that was obviously the big thing we all talked about uh, when it first happened. But I mean, I think it's good that it's got blocked by some regulatory body. Yeah, um, I think there's no way around it, especially with how Redfall is turning out, which I know we had some friends and, and I was to a certain degree, too, excited for that game as a new co-op game to play. 
Uh, it just seems like that's falling short of what people wanted and everything coming out of Microsoft Studios right now, if not everything, most things are just not what we expected. And wanting Microsoft to own more studios, I don't see how that will get us more games. Uh, and, 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 you know, Game Pass continues to be a money loss for them. I know some people argue it is a loss. Read between the lines, guys. They always put a bow on top of it, but it's not making the money they wanted to. They've said that in multiple earnings calls. And, and I don't know what people want. Like, why do you want them to run more studios into the ground while making it so less people can play games? And centralizing control of studios doesn't help anyone. I don't want Sony to own everyone. I don't want Microsoft to own anyone. I don't want Tencent to own everyone. I think this could only hurt gaming. And every time something like this happens, it's more likely this is just going to fall apart. And at this point, it's I think it's easily over 50%. This deal isn't going to go through. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, I, I think you can just look at what's been going on lately with uh, Bethesda since its acquisition by Microsoft and things aren't going super well at Bethesda Studios right now. I mean, I, I don't think you can just lay all of that blame at Microsoft, obviously, but Bethesda Studios is completely behind on like all of their games. Arcane just released Redfall to... Uh, terrible reviews <laughs> i i don't know it just does not seem like that acquisition is helping the market right now so mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know i'm not surprised it's blocked and i i there's no argument i can see for why this would be good for gaming maybe good for a microsoft shareholder but i'm not a shareholder so why would i want it um also microsoft partnering with amd on ai chips i don't see too much detail here just that it seems like Microsoft is helping AMD with their like MI products and maybe with some semi-custom versions of them because they realize because every they, co- every company has realized that they should be an AI now. Yeah, and they realized Nvidia has a huge head start and they want something special for them. So yeah, that's interesting to see Microsoft and AMD work together. Though a- Microsoft has the money and the use, and AMD can make it. So makes sense to me. Um, I guess MSI, this is another story here, just unlaunched the Super 3060 Ti, which I just think is hilarious. I don't have really anything to say about this. I just think it's funny that they MSI decided to call a 3060 Ti a Super, and NVIDIA said, no, no <laughs> you can't call it Super. That's a brand we might use eventually for again. Uh, uh OEMs are really bold sometimes. They are. Um, oh, and then another story here. Uh, AMD. Well, so a few things actually involving AMD stuff. Phoenix 2 has finally been confirmed by AMD and some new, uh, what is it, Rockham releases. At least, at least they put something called Phoenix 2 in Rockham. Who knows? And this is the thing that I le- leaked is Little Phoenix. And then there was a leak online that had different specs than what I said, but then I was told those are the correct specs, so that's out there. This is the, what was it? I believe it was two big core, four Zen 4 C core, you know, budget version of Phoenix that's supposed to come out at the end of this year that AMD still isn't revealed. But finally, we have something out of AMD kind of making it sound like this thing's really happening. In addition to that, and more APU news, we have uh, the Z1 and the Z1 Extreme gaming console uh apus I, they're just different bins of phoenix i mean i don't know that i much the rog ally is going to use it the handheld gaming device 
I mean, yeah, it's just branded branding Phoenix for Steam Deck competitors, seemingly. I have to admit, I am laughing at the 8.6 Teraflop Z1 and then the much weaker, crazy cut down uh, AMD Ryzen Z1 2.8 Teraflop graphics card APU and then the Switch Point 4. <laughs> lateral uh, thinking from Nintendo. It, it is lateral, Tom. It is. I think it should just be called downward thinking because you're always below the competition uh, for the price. Um, and then AMD actually finally confirmed specs of some Phoenix APUs. I don't know if you saw that, Dan. I haven't really covered it, but AMD was like changing the specs on their website every now and then for boost clocks and stuff. Like they still, yeah. to the last minute, didn't really know what it was going to be. Which definitely helps with the uh, branding that people are already confused by with uh, the 7000 series for APUs. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that there's anything really big here to say about Phoenix. Uh, I'm hoping to have Tim on from Hardware Unboxed to talk about all of the mobi- mobility stuff soon. So we'll just hope there's finally some comprehensive Phoenix reviews. I know there's been some handheld ones, but I want to see like multiple of them to kind of mm-hmm. do a summary finally and talk about it with Tim. 4060 Ti die is pictured. Don't have much to say about this. It's just a bin of 8106. And tons of uh, RDNA 3 names were leaked, also in Rockham. So like 7950 XTX, 7950 XT, seems odd to me, uh, 7800 XT, and like all of these other things, you know, 7600M, 7500 XT. I don't have much to say about this. I have no doubt, like, for example, a 7600 XT could exist. I have no doubt that there could be a 7950 XTX. But when I see 7950 XT... There's two above the 7900 XTX. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is like there's two bins of the double infinity cache variant, or or maybe they've fixed RDNA three with a new die, and that's why there's going to be a 950 XT and 950 XTX. I don't know, but I, I can't help but mention, guys. A lot of these could be products that never come out, and AMD knows leakers look at their driver releases, and this could be just to mess with people. Uh, I mean. I, I would assume that there are a million potential GPU names that there are out there that like somehow end up in their software somewhere. And that's what this is. Cause I don't know, maybe, re- maybe release three names above the 7,900 XTX to really get people talking about nothing. <laughs> right. And I am told by people at AMD, they intentionally put specs that were wrong for RDNA two intentionally oh, sure. in drivers. Uh, sure. They knew, and and it's like, guys, AMD knows people tweet out stuff in their drivers. They would be dumb to not do misdirection. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I have nothing bad, negative, real or unreal to say about this. It's just mm-hmm. there's names could be fake. I see no more evidence this is real than if they wouldn't have said it. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, all right. Let us now move on to the final reader mails uh the forbidden juice writes in and says would you wager 32 gigabytes of gddr6 that amd will increase vram amounts by around 50 percent per tier for rdna4 so would i bet that amd is going to go to like 32 to 36 gigabytes of ram or something for rdna4 no i think 24 is enough i think they could i i could see 48 gigabytes sure but i I don't 
if I were AMD, I'd try to keep the cost at a thousand dollars and keep 24 gigabytes. I don't think we need 48 gigabytes of RAM yet. Maybe for like some S tier special flagship, if they think they're going to take the crown. Sure. But otherwise I don't, I don't think every tier needs more RAM. We just need the low end to get over 12 gigabytes and the, and the mid range to get 16 or more. We don't need 80 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah. I, I think, I think the top end is fine at 24 gigabytes for, for now at least. And it would be good if the tiers below it were all 12 or 16 gigabytes or something, or 20 gigabytes. Yeah, the only thing I would say is for me to consider it crazy, 24 gigabytes isn't crazy. We've had 24 gigabytes since Turing for the Titan RTX. Mm -hmm. So we're talking, you know, what are we, like five years already of 24 gigabyte flagships. For me to go, wow, it needs to be at least 32 at this point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And frankly, been five years guys 48 gigabytes is the new 24 i'm not saying the 4090 needs more ram i am saying i'm not wowed by 24 anymore there's many games that use that much already uh, i yeah and i yeah, guess it, the only it, go on it, yeah 20, 24 gigabytes of ram isn't like it isn't some fascinating number at this point i, I would just if you made me pick increasing the amount of ram at the low end or the high end i would pick increasing it at the low end because i think 24 gigabytes is going to be sufficient for a long time right and you know it's funny this is a conversation i had with a couple of graphics card uh engineers and i was like you know when people like we're like i don't know eight gigabytes we might need to keep doing it i said you know i know you guys are complaining about cost and like whatever but we're not asking for the moon here we don't even need more RAM, arguably, at $500. We have 16 gigabytes now. All we're asking is that the low end also gets 16. <laughs> we're not yeah. asking for a whole lot. you know. And so with RDNA 4, if they brought at least a 50% performance increase, I would just say their top card should probably try to get 32 or 48. But then the cut down variant should just have 24 again, and the mid-range should have 16 to 24, and the low end should have 12 to 16. That'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Um Carmen Cry writes in, Tom, would you bet a pack of raw nudes, insert Vite Ramen sponsorship here, remember use Broken Silicon for 10% off, everybody, that if Intel still had quad-core i7s, like NVIDIA has high-end 8-gigabyte cards still, people would complain that modern games are badly optimized because those quad-cores are no longer enough to get high-end performance? I thought this was a funny uh, reader mail because... You know, you see people complaining about eight gigabytes of RAM and their 3070 that the games are unoptimized. And yet we've had eight gigabyte cards for less than $300 since 2016, maybe 2015 with discount 30, 390s. So I, I actually think that's a good comparison. It'd be like if AMD didn't have Zen and we still were using quad cores in the high end. And then people were like, it's been 20 years of quad cores. Why is this game sometimes need more than that? Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's been such a weird thing to see where it's like, how, how, how many uh, more teraflops does the uh, 3070 have than the uh, AMD's 390? Like, we, we expect. Oh, I don't so remember off the top of my head, but I think, I think the 390 was around three to four teraflops, and the 3070 is like 23. Like, uh, yeah, so we expect that much more compute out of a card. Uh, but no more RAM. Yeah. Or three to five teraflops. Three, well, yeah, three to six teraflops. I don't remember exactly. Uh, five, five teraflops. 
Okay. Uh, it, it's just hilarious. We expect everything to get better. They want people want games to look better infinitely, but for some reason, eight gigabytes of RAM is the cutoff. We will never go over that. Uh, eight gigabytes of RAM in a game. I don't yeah, know. I'd be like making that speaking. argument for quad cores. Yeah. Um, Sarcastro writes in and he says, Tom, I went back and re-listened to episode one of Broken Silicon, not Phantom Menace, but Broken Silicon again. And I think it's a great that you kept it on record in the cavernous library that is the Broken Silicon Records. And Dan got some studio time in a sh- Oh, oh, I see. Let me back up. He says, I think it's great that you recorded in a cavernous library while Dan recorded in a shoebox. <laughs> The grainy audio made for a true hi-fi stereo system experience. I definitely would recommend it as a worthy trip to somebody with $5,000 speakers. I'm very glad you moved on, though, from that level of audio performance. Gerard is a good editor. Hashtag audiophile. Yeah, I mean, it was a couple of years ago that I re-listened to the first episode, and I thought the episode was better than expected. The predictions technically in the first one were almost all true came true. Mm-hmm. And What do you know? We did kind of sound like we were in a library with a shoebox on our heads. <laughs> well, hey, uh, what do you expect? That's that that was the uh, quality we were aiming for, Tom. Uh, we just wanted people to have an authentic experience with uh, my fifteen dollars microphone. To be fair, Sarcastro, when I started Broken Silicon, that was one year before I did this full time, and I think I made a hundred dollars a month off the channel. <laughs> <laughs> So we couldn't really afford much more than that then. And in addition to us being just notably worse at making the content. Um, But yeah, I thought that was funny. The Forbidden Juice writes in, Tom, I think it is time for us to check in with how you and the team are doing. Do you feel you have reached a point where you are satisfied with the funds you receive versus the amount of work you do? Yes. Has the channel success continued at or beyond what you sought to achieve? No. Lastly, what do you think was the tipping point that got you to this point? Now, thanks for your hard work, and I hope for continued success. Yeah, so I think, well, Dan, you speak for yourself. I think, you know, I pay you and Gerard. You're paid enough where it doesn't feel like your time is charity. Yeah. Right? It's not like we're getting rich off of this, but it's not a, like, we are happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I would say that the second question, do you think we're beyond what I initially thought I would be happy to achieve? Yes. Are we beyond what I want to achieve? No. <laughs> yeah. Like we're already getting to a point where I, I've been told upper management at Intel and AMD and NVIDIA every now and then is shown a brief slide from one of our leaks and is like, hey, so somehow they know this or look at how people in the comments are responding to this leak. I don't think we can charge this much. Like I'm already told that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wish I don't ever expect to get like as big as someone like gamers Nexus, but if I'm being honest, guys, I wish we could hire a couple of full-time employees, pay Gerard to have this basically be a full-time job and get to a point where we're like a big channel that isn't as big as, you know, gamers Nexus or something but is big enough that if we have a big thing, they can't ignore us, mm-hmm. right? Guys, I've never been sent a graphics card for review. Everything comes out of pocket. I think we make enough that I can afford to do that when I want to. 
And contributors also send me stuff when it's hard to get. That's really nice of them as well. But imagine if we could get products a week before launch because they can't ignore us. Imagine if we could say whatever we want and they'd still have to send us stuff for review because we're too big to be ignored. And imagine if we found an issue that people couldn't ignore. Like I just think we could have a, a bigger effect on this space. And I already think we're having a positive effect on it. And that's really what my long-term goal is. Whereas if we reach that, I wouldn't know what to do next. I don't know what you think. What you, I, I know we're already, though, you would agree, right, Dan, past the minimum of what we were hoping to achieve by far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I don't know as far as the channel goes. I, I mean, I don't think it it's the type of content that we'll ever get as big or require as much money as like Gamers Nexus, who right. does in-depth testing uh, of products like partners with labs to actually do like electron microscopy sometimes. So I don't think it's ever going to get to that scale. And I don't think you or I have the technical know-how or the desire to get that technical know-how to be able to do that type of thing. But yeah, I, I mean, getting bigger. So to a point where like you're actually consistently getting products would obviously what brought in your uh impact well and you know imagine if like because right now i think we're almost to 160,000 subscribers which yes i think me and you were like oh it'd be crazy if we got to 100 what if we got to half a million and mm-hmm. and i don't think that's something i've planned or think we'll achieve anytime soon but like what if we got to a point where we had like four thousand patrons half a million youtube subscribers And when I get a leak on information or I hear there's an issue, because there have been issues I just haven't had time to cover. We had someone we had hired full time and I could say, test this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we could just know for a leak if that's already true or if something else is true. Or we hear about a new feature in a CPU and we're like, check that voltage like that and see if it actually performs that way. Our videos could have a level of quality and testing that we haven't even fathomed, you know? Yeah, that's true. If we had people, it would be hard to find the person, but if we could have someone who could edit the videos for me entirely, someone who could be a researcher full-time, imagine, like, so much, you've seen how many links are are in my leaks. Imagine if I could get information, had someone full-time to fact-check it based on publicly available knowledge announced by these companies and reference it relative, oh, and in this earnings, they said this, and then I also had the ability to put it all together and someone else edit we could probably put out an exclusive video every week. We could have mm-hmm. videos come out without ads. We have that many patrons. I mean, so I still think there's a lot more we can grow is what I'm saying, uh, which we can't do unless you support us mm-hmm. on Patreon and uh, other places as well. But the last thing I want to say to this, uh, I think was fu- a fun question to end on was what was the tipping point? I thought about it like, I don't think there's any like one tipping point, right? Like there's always been every few months a video that does well, where we're like, yay. And we've always been gaining subscribers every month. Yeah. Like I, there's not one tipping point. There's probably five I could point to that were big moments for the channel, but there's not only one. What I can say is, and I thought this was a fun thing to write down, is I do remember when I decided to start taking this seriously, I was on a business trip around Appleton or Oshkosh, Wisconsin, I believe. And of course, I was based in Peoria at the time in late 2019. And I was driving back through Wisconsin. And 
I was thinking this whole time, ah, these cameras cost thousands, these mics cost hundreds, This I'd have to buy the software. At the time, I was making nothing. I mean, hundreds a month, maybe. So it certainly wouldn't <laughs> have been worth the money to buy a $1,000 camera and like, nor my time to, I was an account manager to try to get the audio working at a higher quality. And at the time, I was doing a different podcast and project called Flyover States, where I used a lot of pictures I took. And I saw the, the clouds open up and the sun just, it looked like something out of a cartoon, how beautiful, like imperfect it was. Like the sun roll over like rolling farm hills. And I was like, God, I wish I could take a high quality picture of that right now. Yeah. Oh, I could. And then I realized, you know what? Even if it might end up like I've wasted thousands of dollars, I can spend thousands right now and get the same mics and equipment the bigger channels have. And that will help. And I should just start taking this more seriously. And I, so on that drive back from a business trip is when I went, I won't live with myself if I don't try to take this seriously. And I just do low quality content into a camera every day, every week as While a side drinking gig. wine and wearing sunglasses. We have covered what my original video was going to be, <laughs> and I am oh so happy it never came out. But you'll have to scour our content to find that. Uh, but I, we have shown it, I believe, in... Actually, one of the broken, I think the Christmas no, episode of Broken it. Silicon in 2019. I know you've parts of it before. <laughs> I think Christmas episode with you, Dan, one of the Christmas episodes in 2019. That's how I showed right. clips of me wearing sunglasses, drinking a glass of wine, wearing a Batman pajama top. Well, the Batman pajama top just accentuates what, what you're trying to do. <laughs> Which was look like a douchebag. <laughs> So if you want, I just thought I had to have a gimmick. Like I'll be the guy who drinks while he talks about CPUs with sunglasses on. <laughs> I'm sorry, just say it out loud. I'm sure I'm blushing. It's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen myself do. That would have been like, awesome if it took out off like that though. And, and then I had to be drunk and wear sunglasses. Guy. Yeah. This would have been a very less, a much less analytical channel if that's what we did. <laughs> yes. But I'm glad that is not what happened, and I just slowly discovered, hey, if I try hard, I don't need a gimmick. It can just be good content. <laughs> um, and uh, But that is, I think, the tipping point in late 2019 on a business trip when I realized I can do it. I think we can do it. Maybe it's only a 50-50 shot. It's a better shot than most people. I'm going to spend mm -hmm. the money, and we're going to take this seriously. So. There you go. Couldn't have done this, of course, without all of you supporters. If you do want to support the channel, make sure you subscribe to Moore's Laws on the YouTube channel. Uh, hit the bell button, hit the like button on every video you watch. You know, make sure you don't miss that upcoming content. Tell your friends about us. And please support us on Patreon. We've had a goal to get to like 1,500 patrons for like a year or two now. And I want to hire more people. I want to have the ability to make this a real thing. Um, I'm shopping to try to get a bigger studio with more room, more testing supplies. We're trying to do it, guys. $2 a month gets you like hour-long videos and the, the die shrink releases. $4 lets you ask questions um, on Broken Silicons and Loose Ends and uh, get early ad-free access to Broken Silicon and every now and then other bonus content as well. There's all this stuff there, just 2 or $4 a month, guys. Less than a cup of coffee a month to yeah. help fund the channel. Like, I'm telling you, we... That steady income from Patreon is so, I, I mean, it, it's so important so that we don't have to rely. I can just tell sponsors if they have a bad deal or an intrusive deal where they like put 
you know, the name of our product in the name of your video. And like, even though it has nothing to do with computers, I've seen smaller YouTubers do that. And I'm like, oh God, they actually did it. <laughs> we don't have to do those dumb ads because of our Patreon. So please support us there. And of course, support our sponsors as well. If you want their products, the sponsors I'm working with are very good to us at this point. We're not, you know, I wouldn't be working with them unless they've helped the channel a lot too. But otherwise, nothing else to say. Thank you for watching. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong, we love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guest questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it, the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Journey, Dan Rano, Daniel Hyde, Shredbird, Brian Ringelman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Josh Law, the Mechanical Philosopher, Joe Foote, SNAS Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Christopher Cross, and Joshua L. Herrera. 
Balco Malev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spantum G. Spantum, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Alex Vega, Gregory Sacker, Dominique Koch, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, VentiCZ, HardForeRoom.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastra, Stephen Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Carrera, uh, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jaskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Ritz, Cheapest Learners, Mads, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, A.W.S. Danny, Patrick Grow, Amiable Chef, Chief, Brett Summers, Miltons, Tom, Stephen Dick, Tommy, John, Bruja, Mark Mitchell, Dent McDaffey, A.C., James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Joseph A. Madrigal, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan Koatic, Henry Zhang, Jensen N., Keith Moore, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Joseph Kelly, Earth Taurus, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jerome Ferreira, RB Racer, Keith Moore, Michael Cozy, Ben, DNA Tech, Toka, John O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slushba, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neith Rizank, Neen Dean, Richard Yao, Andres Rocks, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Settler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, William Wolpe, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Nell Lima, John Shin, Justin Bustle, John Swin, Austin Hagerty, Roger Davies, Shea, Julian Leaked, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Michael Aaron, The Eternal Dreamers, Jansen Angima, Himsa Gung, Derek Lambing, James Mosher, Kiko Sato, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>